recorded live. Hoaxbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-447-444. Call ID 90337. Hey. Hey, how you doing, everybody? It's uh, Monday, and it's July 31st. It's 2017. Chris is here, and... I'm the host of the Hoaxbusters Call. We're doing the Hoaxbusters Call right now. And uh, it's like we have a few people out to, tonight on the chat, which would be uh, K. Hamad, Mahatma Coat, Papa Cat, uh, Preposterous4, uh, Reggie5150, TalkShoe Monitor, uh, Wretched, and Northwest Indiana. Good. That's a good deal. Uh, well, well, it is uh, cooler in here. I got my AC worked out. Turns out it needed to be clean and maintained in accordance with uh, what you do to your stuff, which I didn't do. I looked inside, said, well, it looks clean, and regarded it as clean and it wasn't clean and needed cleaned so I cleaned it and now it works so that's a helpful pointer if your AC wall window unit isn't or even your central air unit you can check and see it might be clogged up might be clogged so I pulled it apart it was clogged it was clogged up I don't it I, I don't know how I got that dirty I had that thing that long but anyway, uh, in case uh, anybody runs across that issue, or it could be a, maybe your apartment, you have a filter that needs to be changed. If it ain't quite cooling, check it and do it anyway. If you haven't done it in a while, that's a good that's a good helpful reminder. Some useful information. Uh, that people can use out there is check your filters. Just check all your filters. Just check every single one of them. Check your fuel filter on your car. Check your air filter. Check your air conditioner filters. Ali, like, there's a lot of filters. If I think about them all, the filters that I have water filter, air filter. Filters on my truck, filters on my AC. Uh, keeping out the contaminants, keeping everything flowing. That's a good practice. Keeping keeping your keeping your stuff all in working order. Oh man. Well, see, I got a quote. Oh. So you hear the Marshall McLuhan referenced often when he says the medium is a message. But here's the entire quote. I pulled this off the internet, and it's attributed to him anyway. Uh, the medium is a message. 
This is merely to say that the personal and social consequences of any medium, that is, of any extension of ourselves, result from the new scale that is introduced into our affairs by each extension of ourselves or by any new technology. Uh, I'll read that one more time. The medium is a message. This is merely to say that the person, personal and social consequences of any medium, that is, any extension of ourselves result from the new scale that is introduced into our affairs by each extension of ourselves or by any new technology. Okay, Marshall, what are you talking about, dude? I think that uh, you, you're going to have behavioral reconfiguration in society and culture, which, uh, of course, we see with the cell phone technology is one obvious example that people reference frequently as sort of a relatively new development on the scene. Uh, I was watching something on uh, probably YouTube, and it was, I think, a TED Talk. And this particular individual was pretty fired up about new technology. I think he was going specifically into radio frequency identification, which is what they say is going to be in everything shortly. The Internet of Things, if you're not familiar with that, check it out. Uh, it is supposedly the next big thing in technology which I, I have, I think, is going to actually really be the next big thing in technology. I mean, you can look at how things have progressed along, and you have these things that you'll encounter, and you'll think to yourself, wow, that would be kind of nice if, uh, you know, I could hook this thing up to my computer and it automatically recognizes it well it already does that to a certain degree or you're thinking um yeah I, I, it's hard to remember to uh which myself I, it's hard to remember to i don't know how this plays into this but uh certain things i'll go to the grocery store i come back and say dang i forgot to get uh sugar or something like that i don't i haven't bought sugar last three or four times i went to the store i don't have any i like to have it on hand i get the raw sugar i don't get the refined sugar but it doesn't matter because i don't have sugar anyway i forget to buy it so i guess the idea is everything's going to have a microchip and you can have microchips in your products, in your groceries even, in everything, because they're so cheap, they can just be installed into the most inexpensive items. And you can have an inventory of all your stuff, and you can uh, have it connected to the internet. Now, that's another thing altogether. It's like this internet connectivity and everything being identified on the internet. That's pretty crazy. I don't know how that's going to be carried out, but apparently that's what they say. That's going to be happening in the future. And so, like, uh, when I go to the store, 
I'm not saying I'm going to do this. I probably won't. I'm a, I, I'm, I don't carry cell phones around. I got this cell phone. I haven't looked at it. I don't generally look at my cell phone. It's just kind of there for trips. I use the maps and I, I just don't, uh, definitely don't carry it around everywhere I go. But, uh, I'm just saying, as far as this technology goes, once it's implemented, you'll be able to look at your phone. Oh, I need sugar. Oh, I need uh, soda pop or whatever you're out of. And it'll already have a list because when you throw the item away, you can have maybe a, a, a reader on your trash. I don't know how this is exactly supposed to work, but it'll, it'll say, oh, you're out of this item now. And you need to buy more. Um... Or maybe in your fridge. I don't know. So the more we progress along, it seems the more complex things get. So having everything hooked up to the internet, that's going to be pretty complicated. Ah, wow. This is a mind reel thinking about it. But uh, so this guy is talking about, oh, how great it is. How wonderful it's going to be. And he had some particular thing that he was uh, shilling for. I, I can't remember specifically. Uh, but I know it was related to RFID somehow. But, uh, yeah, so so he was really enthusiastic about the whole thing. And he was talking about, well, you know, everybody's pointing out how cell phones have kind of are breaking down communication between people and and uh oh yeah well but uh that's always gone on and then he he's got this powerpoint slide and he shows a photograph of people on a looks like a subway train or on a train and they're all holding up newspapers and they're not conversing with the person in front of them and uh so, yeah, the medium is the message. I guess newspapers, I guess so. I guess they did do that to some extent. You would have a newspaper and kind of... I think they show that in old television shows where the it's usually the dad and it's the the wife wants to ask the the dad a question, the husband a question, and he's got the newspaper up sort of blocking everything out kind of getting his uh, me time or, or whatever, and he's engrossed in whatever's in the newspaper. And that was, I think, was probably what, what, what preceded the newspaper, though. That, that's a good question along this lines. Were there distractions, diversionary things? Of course, I think there always has been to one extent or another. But you'd have to be a fool to deny the absolute transformation that's been brought about through the uh, cellular telephone. Where you see people out in public and they're just engrossed in these phones. They're driving, they're engrossed in the phones. Uh, you're trying to get out of the parking lot. There's somebody's blocking your way. And you could pretty much bet that they're fumbling around on the phone trying to look something up on their phone, doing something on the phone, replying to a text message or checking their Facebook stat. I don't know. 
I don't see that that often, but uh, it happens. And uh, but uh, I've seen, I've been in situations. I've seen of you know where you're out and about, and uh, you're in a public. I talked about that last time I went to uh, the uh, Nam show up in uh, or out in uh, San Diego. I was out there. What was the year before last or something like that? I don't can't remember exactly it was last last summer uh yeah i think i don't know uh but the whole oh there's hundreds and hundreds of people there you go out into this courtyard it's outside and everybody's on the phone of course and it was just an odd sight it was really very strange and then people walking around on the street like half the people will be looking down at their phones and people have figured out how to walk and to look at the phone and to walk too you always talk about people talk about oh people going out in front of cars or whatever i'm sure it happens but generally speaking i think most people have adapted they've figured out a way to walk and to look at the cell phone at the same time it's pretty fascinating it's pretty it's pretty impressive i mean uh, I didn't see many people slamming or running into each other, but there was a lot of people looking down at their phone, walking through the venue there. But it definitely has transformed society, and uh, it has been have ha, it has had quite the effect. But then, uh, yeah, what is that? So that's, I think, what uh, Marshall McLuhan is referring to because uh, that's definitely what you see. And so can you neutralize people's concern by saying, oh, it's always been around, oh, we've had newspapers back then. It's like, nah, I don't think that's the same thing. I really don't. Uh, You're talking about Two different things, two different mediums, two different messages. Uh, the phone is more of a of a extension of people now. I've heard of people, uh, young people especially, like they something happens to their phone, they go into almost like a meltdown because they don't have their phone, so it's like this necessity now which is quite odd but uh wretched in the chat says i see people walking and riding their bikes and other forms of transportation with their faces in their phone so they yeah people could ride bikes too riding a bike on the phone uh i've yet i haven't seen that i i I, I I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Riding a bike around on the phone. I don't. I don't know why not. If you can walk and ride and walk and be on the phone, you could probably ride around on the bike and be on the phone. That's not very smart. It's just not. I'll go ahead and say that. Um, how many accidents has it resulted in? I wonder. Is, is there any statistics being kept on... Uh, I'm sure there probably is. I don't know. Is this something that's uh, on par with drunk driving? I don't know. 
it seems like it would have to be uh, pretty substantial as far as accidents. But like I said, I don't know. I drive around. I don't. I don't see it too much. Um, people being distracted on the phone while driving. It seems like it used to be more of that. Uh, when I lived down in uh, Grand Prairie, which is down in Dallas, that area, Fort Worth area, I remember like every time I come to an intersection, I kind of made a game of it to say uh, to to pay attention and count the people that were on the phone on the at the intersection. And there was always at least one person on the phone, talking on the phone with the phone up to their head. Uh, well, they got the hands free and all that now, and I think that's been widely adopted in the cars. So I think that with the new cars, and since cars only last, what, about five, six years, I think later down in Fort Worth, it was longer ago than that. So everybody's got the newer vehicles with the Bluetooth and the and the thing where it comes through the speakers, and so you don't have to hold the phone up to your head unless you're te- unless you're um, well, you don't have to hold up your head if you're texting, but if you don't have to hold the phone at all, or you could talk into it and it texts for you if you if you figure that out. But uh, yeah, the medium is a message. So I got this new book. It's called uh, Nation of Strangers by Vance Packard. John recommended it to me. And I thought I would read a couple of paragraphs out of this. Um, I wasn't aware that Vance Packard... I knew that his book... Uh, that uh, What is his other book that's well-known... It's the, um, gosh, the one about uh, advertising and marketing the, uh, oh, maybe somebody in the chat has that Vance Packard title of that book. Type it in. But anyway, I'll go ahead and, yeah, I'll read a couple of paragraphs of this. This is a, I just started reading this, so uh, probably start at the uh, first chapter this a society of torn roots uh the increasingly rootless nature of america provides a fresh and to me fascinating perspective for assessing the drift of modern societies while the footlooseness of americans as pioneers was a source of vitality and charm several of the new forms of of the accelerating rootlessness in, a, in a, of americans is is taking should be a cause for alarm Great numbers of inhabitants feel unconnected to either people and places, and throughout much of the nation there is a breakdown in community living. In fact, there is a general shattering of small group life. A number of forces are promoting social fragmentation. We are confronted with a society that is coming apart at the seams, and in the process we appear to be breeding a legacy of coldness in many of the, of the coming generation. To explore this major phenomenon in our times, I made a number of trips to towns and cities in the United States and had, uh, that had uh, attracted my curiosity. And briefly, for comparative information, I visited cities in four, four countries abroad. Typically in America, I would fly in, into the town or city to be visited, rent a car and drive around for a day or two to get the feel for the area, and then begin talking with people about their life patterns. 
I would also talk with people who might have special knowledge, such as local officials, reformers, professors, social workers, school officials, businessmen, realtors, and union officials to get their impressions. There were many group discussions. And usually in the evening at my hotel, with little else to do, I would read published mimeographed reports and investigations. I had assembled dealing I had assembled dealing with aspects of contemporary rootlessness, its prevalence, forms, causes, effects, and possible amelioration. Also in my research, I conducted samplings involving a few hundred people in four communities. The exploration led me to believe that there are at least 40 million Americans now lead feebly rooted lives. We are seeing so deep in an upheaval of life patterns that we are becoming a nation of strangers. In a broad sense, this contemporary uprooting takes many forms. There is, for example, the uprooting of traditional male-female relationships, of traditional religious beliefs, of vocational stability because of rapid job obsolescence, and of onrushing technological and social changes in general. In this exploration, I will focus only on five forms of uprooting that are creating greater distances between people. First, there is the uprooting of people who move again and again and again into strange locations, although there is often positive values in moderate mobility, and I will examine them. Uh, continually repeated mobility is another matter. This is especially unsettling when there is an element of compulsion in the moves, and it so, is so frequently the case when transfers of business and government, governmental personnel are involved. Then there is the uprooting that occurs when once authentic communities undergo upheaval. This is caused partly by the accelerated population growth since World War II and partly by the disruptions created by vast skyways cutting through populous areas, by urban renewal and in-and-out migration of industrial plants, ethnic groups competing for urban living space, the repeated desperate flight of urban families outward towards cleaner air, some greenery, and hopefully less crime. With this turbulence, brand new suburban areas that were created only 15 or 20 years ago are already viewed as obsolete. In such an environment, millions of Americans who continue to live in one house might be called psychological nomads. They stay on, but the turnover of people around them is so great that they can no longer enjoy a sense of place. They find themselves with few close ties to friends, kinfolk, or community. Third, there can be a sense of uprooting even when one's neighbors remain as people increasingly live in multiple dwelling units made necessary by the imploding pressures of millions of rural and small-town people crowding into metropolitan areas, neighbors frequently live side-by-side -side in anonymity. Although it is not invariably true, dwellers in high-rise apartment houses tend to remain strangers. A large city's vast throngs, when not naturally subdivided into small group affiliations, tend to become coldly impersonal and wary. Fourth, there is the fact that even in smaller cities where people live in their own homes on tree-lined streets, individuals may remain strangers to their neighbors if continuous operation plants and offices dominate the area's economy. And, and this is increasingly the situation. With highly automated companies uh, operating around the clock, the people working on various time shifts tend to look for sociability not to neighbors but to people living elsewhere who are geared to the same time shift of their own. Finally, there is accelerating fragmentation of our basic social unit, the family. This can be seen in a steady rise of broken families and the increasing number of family members over 60 who move away, often great distances, to retirement villages, quote-unquote, and in the rapidly rising number of young people who leave their home localities permanently or for extended periods. Millions of young people now lead life patterns of near chronic movement, 
Some go with packs on their back, others go to two-wheel vehicles. And in the early 70s, small living in vans replaced sports cars as the favorite four-wheel vehicle of sophisticated young Americans. Other millions of young people travel far from their home communities to attend college. And college, for many, turns out to be a vast multiversity where their principal source of personal identity may be the ID card. Still other millions of young are learning to be mobile through the courtesy of the Pentagon, which arranges involuntary tours to all parts of the nation and globe. In all this disruption of familiar patterns, some people respond with a deepened sense of loneliness. Uh, James Garotti, who has been commissioning the New, York, the New Yorker's cartoons for three decades and tries to keep abreast of the national mood, remarked some months ago, quote, loneliness is the name of the game, unquote. And another perceptive observer of the national mood, James Reston, wrote in the New York Times in another context, Quote, there is a sense of loneliness in the country, unquote. He was speaking primarily of the many people who no longer have confidence in their leaders and have come to doubt the fidelity of the numerous U.S. institutions. Such doubt unquestionably was behind much of the disgruntlement about the system, quote-unquote, or the establishment, quote-unquote, noted in the support for the defiant George Wallace, a genius at tapping disgruntlement in the 1972 primaries. George McGovern, in a different way, also soared to national prominence by tapping disgruntlement. A sense of loneliness also undoubtedly accounts for the fact that many of the most popular songs of the past have focused on the sense of hurt and yearning. Carol King lamented in her smash hit that nobody seemed to stay in one place anymore. In another very popular tune, she exclaimed, How good it is to know you have a friend. And in the taverns of northern industrial cities, former hillbillies for months sipped beer to the little moment. I want to go home, I want to go home. Other loosely rooted people react to the disruption of familiar patterns by hyperactive sociability. On the Upper West Side of Manhattan, at least one party-throwing circle consists of people who all happen to meet while walking their dogs. Still, uh, still others react to uprootedness by doing their own thing and becoming indifferent to all but a few fellow citizens. Whatever the individual reasons, we are rapidly losing several critical ingredients of a civilized, salutary society. We are seeing a sharp increase in people suffering alienation or just feeling adrift, which is having an impact on emotional and even physical health. We know there is a substantial increase of inhabitants suffering a loss of sense of community, identity, and continuity. These losses all contribute to a deteriorating sense of well-being, both for the individuals and for society. It is not reasonable, incidentally, to compare today's mobility of people with that of frontier days, when people typically travel in wagon trains where they developed a deep sense of shared experience and companionship. At the end of the journey, they usually located in villages small enough in scale so that they soon knew everyone, and they depended on one another for protection from Indians, outlaws, marauding wolves, or mountain lions. Today's mobility is likely to be more solitary act that ends by putting the mover among a mass of distorted, disoriented neighbors. The only protection today's mover needs is from hoodlums and business gougers, and he usually can't expect much help from a new neighbor. The most disquieting aspect of today's uprootedness is that transients at the prime of life frequently come from the ranks of our more talented citizens, including many of our national leaders. In frontier days, it was working people, and the losers seeking a second chance who most often migrated. Today, the high mobiles are more likely to be people of talent and leadership skills, the kind who ordinarily play the major role in holding a community together and giving it a source of pride. 
when these more talented citizens increasingly lead lives of near perpetual motion, the communities they move in and out of must improvise. They must continually revise programs and must settle for second or third best in leadership. Although movement of people is only one element contributing to the social fragmentation we are witnessing, it is a major and conspicuous element. It is measurable. Therefore, I'll sum up briefly the findings of two organizations that keep closest watch on the movement of Americans, the U.S. Bureau of Census and the American Telephone and Telegraph Company. Uh, Census experts have long felt that there is more geographic mobility within the United States than in almost any other country in the world. Recently, reasonably compared, compar- uh, comparable uh, census data from uh, several countries have pointed to this higher velocity of Americans. Uh, U.S. Census Bureau expert Larry H. Long cites figures for the 1960s from Great Britain, Japan, and Canada. When allowance is made for variations in life expectancy, these findings emerge. Uh, the average American moves about 14 times in a lifetime. The average Britain moves about 8 times. The average Japanese moves about 5 times. A population specialist in France incidentally estimates that changes of address each year in that country are almost about one half of the U.S. rate. But mobility is now increasing in most countries affected by technological change. For, an, for evidence of a worldwide increase in mobility, see Appendix A. Where technology is in a runaway stage, as in the United States, both mobility and general uprootedness tend to run highest. So it goes on and on with these figures, but uh, yeah. So this was written in 1976. This is, uh, again, this is uh, A Nation of Strangers by Vance Packard. Packard. But uh, as we see, I think that is well far along that it definitely is the case. And uh, I've moved several times myself. I was born in Los Angeles. I lived there till I was uh, 10 years old, something like that. Moved to Oklahoma. Uh, my parents met. My dad was in the Army. Uh, he was from uh, in California. My mom was from Oklahoma. Uh, they divorced. We moved back to, uh, moved back to Oklahoma with my mother, my brother. Uh, I subsequently went into the Navy right after high school and then got uh, stationed in San Diego and moved back out there and stayed out there for 11 years. And then moved from there to Arkansas, moved from Arkansas to to, uh, well, actually back to here, and then to Fort Worth, Dallas area, and then back to here. So, uh, uh, and I don't think that's every, and within that movement between states, I think I've moved within those states a couple of times. So I don't even remember how many times I moved. Oh, yeah, you get to the point where it's like, um, here's another thing, you, you, you haul your, crap around and then I would have all this stuff in the U-Haul and haul it across the United States when I moved from California to Arkansas yeah and then uh, I came to the awareness like wow this is ridiculous moving all this stuff and the expenditures involved in moving all that stuff it was like I could have bought all new stuff better stuff I mean, I could have loaded up 
my, you know, my trunk, I keep, you know, kind of essentials, clothes and whatever, but get rid of all my furniture and all the other crap. It's like pointless. And, but I hauled it across halfway across the United States, like a retard, uh, uh, for the money I spent, yeah, I could have bought brand new stuff. Well, better, well, yeah, it just didn't make any sense. But I, you know, people do that and they don't even think about it. I've seen other people do it. And then, uh, see their furniture and it's like, man, your furniture is not even as nice as mine was and you're hauling this crap and spending 800 bucks on a U-Haul truck when your furniture is not even worth that much. It's insane. Uh, but that's what you do. Somebody's on hold. So, yeah. Moving around. Now it's just commonplace. Uh, in this neighborhood, there's some people around here in this neighborhood that have been around here a long time. But then I'd say the majority of people who live around my current neighborhood uh, are transplants of one form or another. And I do speak with my neighbors, a few of them. And there's neighbors that don't want to get along, don't care to get along. They're kind of in their own cloistered little clique and they don't want to talk to you or get or, or, uh, not that I'm, I, I want to be best buddies with my neighbor, but I want to be on talking. Uh, I want to be able to converse with my neighbor, but, uh, there's one particular neighbor that just doesn't want to be neighbors. And it's like, okay, dude, I, I don't even see the sense in that. I, but that is their particular choice. And uh, I think they're racist against me because I'm white. And that does happen. Now, people think, oh, you can't be racist if you're not white. Well, that's horseshit. And there are people of certain ethnicities that don't like you because you're white. Or whatever other reason, but they don't, they don't want to associate with you. And it's like, I, I can't figure any other reason out, you know. Uh, but, I, you know, I've seen that before. And it's like, um, especially with Hispanics and black, it's like Hispanic immigrants into the, in the United States. From what I understand, I've, I've, it was in this neighborhood where I used to live and from, I've heard from people and it's like, they really don't like black people and they're very racist toward black people. So there's racism, racism. And, um, I don't talk a lot about racism, but I do acknowledge that it exists and if you think it's only from whites, that's absolutely ridiculous. Which is like, you'll get that idea that it's like, oh, it, racism comes from whites. It's like, no, it's, it comes from uh, all groups and against other groups for whatever reason. And, uh, but that plays into this fragmentation of society too. And I don't know if Vance Packard brings it up in that book, but yeah, that definitely goes on. Oh, you'll have transplants from all over the place. And there's also immigration, and then there's also... Uh, so yeah, we live in this heavily fragmented society, no doubt.
Uh, yeah. And this was 1976 when this book was written. So this has progressed further along. And I'd have to say that it, it's very extremely common for people to move. move people move a lot. Uh, more so than ever. Well, a lot more so than in 1976 when that book was written. And, um, and two, a lot of people work from a computer and they can com telecommute and do whatever, depending on whatever kind of profession they have. And, uh, that, that definitely goes on. But, um, yeah, so that's a good book to check out. A Nation of Strangers. Dot, 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 dot. By Vance Packard. Oh, so I'm reading this. I'm reading the, because uh, uh, people have asked me, like, what, are, what is my reading list? And I'm sorry, I don't have one posted. I don't even know what to put on a reading list. Uh, I, I just, I, I read. Sometimes I don't finish books. It, it just depends on how engrossing they are. I generally read about, I'll have anywhere from five to ten books going at a time. Not that I'm some super bookworm. It's just that I, I, I just, I, I don't know, that's the way my approach to reading. And then, uh, well, like I said, a lot of times I won't even finish book, certain books. But then, um, it, it it's just kind of... Uh, yeah, my approach. I don't know. So, like I said, I don't know. I, 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 there's, yeah, there's books that I guess I could recommend. There's one, uh, oh, there's several different ones. So maybe I will put together some kind of list or something. But, uh, books. Yeah, I mean, you could read books and get some information out of books. I like reading books. I think I read the internet more lately than I read books. Uh, there's always something to read on the internet and, and, but, uh, it's reading, it's reading, it's reading, you know, but books, some, something about books. I get books online. There's a book. If anybody is looking for a website to purchase books from use books, good use books. It's, uh, alibris.com. A-L-I-B-R-I-S is a good site. And they have a good, a, a big selection, and I think they deal with independents, booksellers around the country, and you can get good deals. I got this particular book from. It says it came from the Redwood uh, College of the Redwoods Library. I guess it was a donated book or whatever. Some somebody got a hold of, sold it, so I ended up paying like five bucks for it, shipped, and it's a hardback, and it's a, uh, yeah. I got a couple of donations this week, and uh, I'll send a shout-out to Alexander Albu and jaysanalysis.com. And uh, that's most appreciated. And I hope, I, I don't think I missed anybody, but uh, if I did, I'll mention you next time. Uh... Yeah, greatly appreciated. Yeah, if you want to send a donation, go to the blog, and there's a ads on demand, and it's a donation page. So with that said, I'm going to go to callers now and shut my yapper.
I'm going to play a bumper, then I want to play an ad. And then we're going to take callers. We are bound to classify you as unmutual. That's correct. Call. Hostbusters call. Join the discussion by dialing 724-444-7444. Call ID 90337. That's a direct order. Do it now. In these times of financial instability, you want to be grounded on The Rock. Hi, I'm Nick Cage from Nick Cage Financial Forecasting. When I blew all my loot on islands and dinosaur bones, people said, there's no way you can recover from this. I said, you're wrong. I'm Nick Cage, I can recover from anything. I set about finding the latest advances in genetically modified LSD and ergots. In Nick Cage Financial, ancient sage wisdom melds perfectly with the latest in genetically modified LSD mushrooms, allowing me to go on a fanciful trip into the ether sphere where I can forecast the markets with my third eye. It's all done by me in my giant pyramid tomb at Nick Cage Financial Forecasting. Don't let the bankers put a cage around you. Grab that bull bear market by the horns and put him in a cage. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, that's uh, Nick Cage, Nick Cage Financial. Yeah, check them out. I think it's nickcagefinancial.com. Uh, no, actually, that was Jay doing Nick Cage as... Nick Cage doing Nick Cage Financial. But that's, uh, I like that. Um, so he looks, he looks into the future and then he forecasts. So that, that would pretty much be a pretty solid investment strategy that, as far as I know about investments. So I, I would, uh, yeah, I, I recommend Nick Cage Financial. Why not? Uh, Western Oklahoma. Online. And Southern California, too. Collar inner. Oh. Welcome to the. Scoop doop doop How you doing? <laughs> Is this a doctor? Is this a doctor? It's me. I'm back. Good. Yeah, I was just wondering where you went off to, but I know you're mobile. Oh. Speaking of mobile, speaking oh. of transient, speaking of uh, itinerant, your Vance Packard's case study right there, which is yeah, actually pretty cool. I don't know why not. I mean, if you can't find a community anyway, because there isn't any anymore. And I've been thinking about the same thing. Well, actually, I've been planning and trying to save my pennies up to get a 
some kind of a van to do some traveling and mo mobile uh, nomadic lifestyle. Give it a give it a give it a whirl. Um, how long you been doing that, Doctor? Oh, gee, since last November. That's when I moved out of my apartment, and I had the van for maybe several years before that, maybe four or five years before, and I went on some long trips in the summer because I had the summers off as a school teacher. So, but this last November, I moved in and and uh, took off at the first of the year, and, and yeah, this whole year has just been, um, yeah, I've met. It's been the most interesting year of my life, I would say. I mean, it's not all been. Uh, it's not all been roses or anything. <laughs> I mean, but right now I'm in Northern California. There's a, there's the reggae fest in, it's near Garberville, California. And I think I'm going to not even do that. I think I'm like burned out on that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, there, I, we, last time I was on, we talked about Kerrville folk festival. And then I went to the, there was a rainbow gathering, national gathering in Oregon. And, kind of the northwest was and i like found some friends to come with me in the van and there was some drama and and yeah so now i've had a, almost i think i've almost had enough I've, I've been kind of on the fence whether to go back and socialize with all the and and they talk about communities and building communities yeah there's a place mount shasta california there's a mountain in california and there's lots of hippies they try to create communities. That's what they call it. They call it creating intentional communities. A lot of them have school buses and they have different um, philosophies. So I got to meet a bunch of the, there were, there were like three or four buses up there and, and you can camp up there. And and it's just, yeah, it's interesting. They're, they're, they're trying to put, it's like they're trying to take society apart and put it back together and they're just struggling with it and, there's there's all this hippie drama and and uh, they they their people are trying they they want to they want to do it but it's just difficult because there's um, usually people I I believe that people that are seeking um, people that are trying to stop participating in society um, they in, on average they end up being people that have all kinds of um, other issues it's it's like i mean it's like these people all these people have intuitively um rejected society but they then they all get together and they find out that they try to put a society together and it's and they find out that it's that it's uh a lot harder than they thought it would be so kind of ironic i suppose um there are lots of people that are down and out lots of people that don't have a lot of money that are looking for solutions and and i think they they get together. There are solutions. There's, there's plenty of happy people out there that that are figuring out how to, how to, not participate in society and find solutions. It's so. I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned is that there's, that there's, lots of open-minded people out there that want to consider all the alternatives and. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand. I, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't um, know anything. I don't feel like I'm enlightened just yet, but perhaps I know a little something I didn't know before. 
gradually I'm learning about driving around the country and stuff like that, having a nice road trip. Anyway, that's what I've been up to. So you sleep in Walmart parking lot? No, I've been sleeping. We've been camping. It started. It started out with the four of us. There was like a. Th- there was one of them was a mom with a three year old, and yeah, we've we've always had. There's always been. Uh, we've been camping with lots of different people, and um, yeah, or or sometimes it's nice. To, yeah, just uh, Walmart has happened, I suppose. Right now, and right now I'm about ready to go home because I'm almost out of money, but. <laughs> so I'm sitting in a parking lot right now. But yeah, so it uh, it runs into money when you're buying gas and all that. Huh? It runs into money, but but it but the magic that happens. These people that have that are driving around the country, they have school buses that they convert and stuff. It's really pretty magical. They they just um, it's called gas jugging. They just have a five gallon gas jug and they hit up someone while they're pumping gas and they say. They we're traveling with our family, and could you please help us out? And usually, people will put their put the gas nozzle in the in the uh, in your five gallon tank and just fill it up for you. And it's pretty inconspicuous. It's not like you're. And yeah, I, I ended up traveling with this with this one woman that that uh, and then she like befriend, befriended this homeless guy that was really good at he could fly a sign and he could. And I was running out of money, so I let him, so I let him, I let him fill up my gas tank a couple times. But then, but then there was all this drama, and and yeah, it's it's kind of tricky. I, and but I've heard that some of the intentional communities are not full of hippie drama. It just happened to be when I showed up at Mount Shasta, it was like the full moon, and there was all these people there, and and there was just lots. Of, there were people with serious problems that were like expressing their opinions a lot and and um but 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 i've heard but i've heard that some of the some of the hippie buses i mean there there's like some voice of reason has has stepped up and and they know what they're doing maybe they've got a farm maybe they've got i mean they're raising goats or they're they're selling art or they've got some kind of a purpose um but i think that's i, I think more likely than not most of those hippie buses are just i mean kids that are having trouble and doing the best they can. So but, but sometimes that's a lot better than the alternative for those kids. So I don't know. I have kind of a nuanced opinion. I'm not, I'm not, I spent a lot of time with them, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not converted. I'm not like going to turn into rainbow hippie man or anything, but I feel like I've got a, a better perspective for, I mean, what, what a few weeks could give me. I certainly met a lot of people and, I have some respect for them, but then, but then there's, yeah, some people are full of shit. Some people are, um, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's just as much of a clusterfuck in hippie land as it is in Babylon and the rest of society, as they call it. So, so I think, I think it's just, I think the hippies need, the voice of reason needs to fucking show up on the hippie buses too. And it would do them a lot of good is what, what I think so and I've done bad people express similar sentiments to me so anyway yeah. that's what <laughs> yeah it sounds it's interesting a, yeah, I mean 
Well, yeah, then you have the, uh, the sort of people coming out of dysfunctional families, broken homes, and then they carry the baggage of that with them. And then, so then that's going to be a barrier to kind of forming any community too. So you just kind of have like, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of people wandering around. And then on top of that, I think you have a lot of retirees that do the same thing, right? You, do you run into a lot of, a lot of, uh, retirees out and about in their, uh, R- RVs and vans? And stuff? Um, where, where I am, yeah, the, yeah, earlier this year I ran into more people like that. And I think that's more of my crowd. I'd rather be with the, with the more older chill crowd, you know, that are, and they're they're like snow they're snowbirds they they drive where the weather's good and and uh they've got lots of stories to tell and and I think generationally I think I think what appeals to me most about people that are closer to my age or older I'm 50 but um just just the just the ability to have a conversation to to uh like take turns and and like say like speak your mind and and let people will listen i mean there's just not i i think people are better listeners like the like the older you get the more like you likely you are to um be able to listen to like like imagine a like imagine a evening around the campfire and you listen to 10 different people talk about something that was really important to them. I mean, I mean, I would get a lot more from that than, than the typical millennial conversation seems to be, um, interjecting things by like kind of Jerry Springer style. I don't know, but I mean, I mean, there's, there's some very, there's some very thoughtful young people. I don't want to say that at all, but, um, j- just the style of communication, like, and then, with these intentional communities where, where say say there's 20 or 30 people that are all sitting in a circle trying to make decisions about their hippie bus or something. There's, there's all kinds of drama because people don't know how to, people want to um, speak their mind and they don't want to let people take turns. It's just, people are just big babies about, about their opinions. It seems like, and it's, it, and what I noticed earlier this year, hanging out around the song circles with the, players playing guitar and I've got my fiddle and I'm, and we play a little music and then we chat for a while. And I mean, people will, people will stop and, and listen to other, especially if they're older. I mean, if they, if they've got something to say, it's going to, it's going to be something worth listening to. And, and, uh, but, but then what I see, what I see increasingly around with the younger people, it seems to be like interjecting comments and, and it works. You can do, you can do that. You can, you can, there's some com- communication going on when people, um, talk over each other. I mean, there's maybe there's more random ideas getting stuck out in there and there's more things to laugh about. Um, but just that, that whole style of communication seems that it's a, it's kind of a divide between, um, and then you see, and then you see what I really see p- people frustrated, like older people trying to sit there with the, the younger people that want to talk over each other and then they get frustrated and then there's, then there's drama and, and I don't know. And then there's all the drugs, there's people doing drugs. So that's trouble too. So, 
Oh, yeah. Generally. So. You're always going to have that, huh? Drugs. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, I don't know where I stand on the hippies. I'm, I mean, that's, it's like I spent all this time with them and, um, and then, and then I just today I talked to someone that, that says, yeah, that they've been on, they've lived on a bus and they've done this and that. And, and they're, they're, they're not on board with the rainbows either. So, so I think there, there's some controversy and I, and I think, um, the, the, the national rainbow gathering was in, was in Oregon this year. And it was kind of a mess. I was there. I haven't been to a bunch of them, but the one other one I was at was in Vermont um, last summer, in the summer of 2016. And there was problems. People were getting sick. The water was not good. And there was, um, yeah, there was, it, it was not as well received, I think, this year. But I don't know. I, 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 uh, Maybe you just have to. Maybe you just have to be in with the right people, and 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 then there's then there's other festivals that cost more money, and that's kind of a different crowd. I've noticed. I, I was kind of with the crowd where people don't have any money at all, which I think I think those people are more interesting to talk to. Um, but then there's the Burning Man, and there's all these expensive festivals. Um, but but at the festivals, you can volunteer. You can you can just. Uh, like pay a minimal amount and work at the festival. That's kind of what I, that's kind of what I'm deciding now. I've like I've there was some drama and I decided to leave and and there's a festival that I'm all signed up for. I could go back and probably have a good time maybe if I was in a better mood or I I've, I've just been on the road so long it's just I'm just not a social butterfly like so many people so anyway, I've been yakking my yakking my head off. Is everything okay in Lawton? Oh yeah, not much has changed probably since the last time you were yeah. in Lawton. Uh, yeah, I might have to might have to swing I have to swing by and say hello on the way home. Oh yeah, so you're you're done with the uh, van traveling and all that? You think? I th- I think I think for yeah for a while, I've got a storage unit like I've been cleaning out my life and my possessions. So I, the one thing I have is a storage unit like full of stuff that I could get rid of and save 85 bucks a month and it's like you were saying it's just so stupid to pay a bunch of money for your dumb shit that's not worth it no one wants it anyway so yeah you could get some pretty decent furniture at thrift stores it just depends oh, yeah. I mean like if you want to get furniture for a new apartment or whatever I've, uh, I've done that many a times I've I, usually what ends up happening when I moved is like somebody will give me furniture. I don't even like, like I moved to an apartment one time and I think I got all the furniture for free from somebody who just like was moved. I, I forget what happened. I think they just asked me, Hey, you want this furniture? I was like, yeah, I need a couch. I need, I didn't have, I lived in an apartment one time and I didn't have any, I, I stayed there like a year and a half or something without any furniture in the place. That was pretty weird, but I just didn't uh, get around to getting any furniture. And then I had this uh, yeah, that- had a young lady come over, and it was like, oh, she's kind of freaked out about this. I don't. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even think about it. It's like, shit, I don't have any furniture in my apartment. It's just weird not to have furniture. 
Yeah, it's just yeah. You have to give them the head. You have to give them the heads up before you invite them over that you're a that you're a bohemian or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of (laughs) suspicious not to have any furniture. I mean, I had a desk. I had a had a bed and a desk, and actually, I I didn't even have a bed. I had an air mattress. So it's like, uh, yeah. So what? Uh, it it does. Yeah, it well, looks, it looks no 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 art on the wall or anything. I just uh, I don't know. I didn't bother. Art. It was just kind of like I never was hardly there, and I didn't even bother furnishing the place for a while. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of like a incentive not to hang out at home too much too because there's like nothing in the apartment so it's like it's kind of bland and dull so it kind of compelled me to be out and about outside or out doing something well it's a, it's a good way to scare away the gold diggers you know well yeah yeah that that uh that's another thing too yeah <laughs> gold diggers <laughs> uh yeah i think yeah, having a your place, but I've been to your place. Your place is awesome now, man. You you built that whole place. It oh like. yeah, yeah. I kind of did it uh, when I when I moved in here. It was just a, a garage with no insulation or anything, and so I uh, needed to do it on a budget. Didn't have a whole lot of money, so I just used uh, fence wood. I don't I don't know what it, what ended up me. Uh, doing that, I think I I found some fence somewhere, and I was like, well, I can do the walls with this, and I like that look, you know. So it's a uh, reclaimed wood. So it's weathered wood. It's all like a fence, discarded fence that's been weathered. But you can get that old fence panels, and they're still good, you know. They're they're if they don't have rot, you know. But they're weathered, so they don't. Yeah. Yeah. You're a, you're an uncommon man of action. That place looks like, yeah, I can see like all the hours of work you put into it, and yeah, if any if anyone's wondering, there's there's like this, the the computer console with the microphone and everything, where all the magic happens is 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 under the bed, and there's like a raised log platform where the where the middle of the room is this big bed, and and yeah, it's I mean. That's pretty awesome. You just made you just made that place your own. So it's like a, I guess anyway. it would fall under the category of a tiny house, maybe. So it's twenty. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's uh, agenda twenty one compliant. So I'm sort of got a head start I think on. So, yeah. What's yeah. Well, yeah. you've got pl- you've got plumbing and everything, and you've got it looks like. Yeah, it looks like a de- it looks like a decent place to live, but it's but it's not a. It's not like a stupid little box that people live in. So, yeah, anytime, anytime you can make a place your own, that's how I, that's how kind of how I feel about the van. That that um, yeah, that this is just you. You got your little platoon. You got your little place here. And yeah, my only trouble is if is if I'm tra- if I'm traveling, if I'm going to pick people to travel with. I mean that really brings the bills down if you've got more people traveling, but you have to live with them, and and then you have to live with the people that they meet, and then you have to, and then 
Yeah, as, as long as a, a solitary lifestyle is perfect for like customizing your your place, but yeah, the van the van I I've, I've cleaned it out today. There's just been there's just yeah, there's just too much too much hubbub around the van. I just need to get back to my my personal space. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just uh, have a have a sort of permanent. Yeah, it is kind of nice. I mean, then you kind of get your oh, you kind of get it like you like it, you know. So you have everything kind of arranged in your. Uh, I, I'm not a neat freak by any means, but on the other hand, I'm fairly organized. So I I have sort of a place to put everything. And then I get, uh, because the one thing I don't like is hunting for shit. I just don't like having to hunt shit down like a tool or something. I know exactly where it is. I have it in its spot and I always kind of force myself to always keep things in their place. Even though if you look around my place right now, it's a, it's, it looks like a mess, but it's just because I have different kind of projects going on so i end up setting stuff i have stuff setting out but uh which is usually well i'm case, someone but. i'm someone that's not very organized at all i'm just kind of seat of my pants kind of thing so but the thing is is if you lose stuff i mean the, the danger is that you lose stuff but if you lose stuff um if you lose enough stuff i mean every day you're just finding the things that you lost previously so it's kind of like christmas every day i mean you just if if you just if you just like look because if the next time you lose something you try to look for it and then you like find three things that that you had lost previously and <laughs> yeah it's well, like and it's like yeah, yeah. so it's, it's like it's happy day i look look what i found so and in the and in, in the van there's a limited number of places where things can be lost and I've, I've discovered in the past few weeks I've discovered there's like a couple particular places where like I found all kind all kinds of things that were lost and and especially if you've got two or three people all looking for stuff at the same time you never know I mean there's all there's all kinds of things that could be found you can lose things and it's just it's just it's just that abstraction between losing things and finding things I mean maybe that seems very maybe that seems cut and dry to you but but uh, just just the feeling of finding things. If if you can just get over losing things and just just try to try to just enjoy the finding of things, then <laughs> then that's a, that's a yeah that's a, that's a lot of headaches you don't have to have. So well, what the bad know, thing about that is if you if you're trying to find something. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But if you're trying to okay, you're looking for something and you can't find it and then it's like okay i really need this particular item at this particular point in time and then you go out and well, buy a replacement well that means you should throw away your clocks because because you oh, at this particular point in time i need something i mean if it sounds like it's a big hang-up about needing to do something immediately i mean if you were just if you could just let go of that sense of urgency that you need to do something immediately i mean maybe there's i mean for well, me I mean, if your like radiator hose is leaking or something like that 
that's that's kind of got kind of be like urgent. like urgent like urgency. Okay, that well, kind of thing, yeah. If there's, if there's an or if there if there's some kind of immediate urgency, but but uh, yeah, if you're the kind of person that just loses shit all the time, then then you're probably not feeling real urgent about anything. So so uh, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're if you're if you're having trouble with your radiator, then I mean that's something that's something on your agenda. You may maybe you want to do that first of all, but but you might like want to find a lot of things. Well, yeah, let's beforehand. say you're driving along and you come up to a fishing hole and you, darn, there's some, I see the fish right there. Where's my damn fishing pole? And you can't find your fishing pole? That's yeah, sometimes, sometimes there's, sometimes you need to actually know where things are, but that's a lot of trouble, though. Yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have, I, I, I'm not, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not a neat freak, but I have this, uh, I, I kind of I'm kind of hung up on organization. It's just like a, but I but like I say, it's like an ongoing process. I wish you I never could, I quite wish get I could, organized. I wish I could be a little more like that. I wish I could be a little more like that. I could like a little like one percent OCD would go a long way. But right now the right now the van doesn't look too bad because everyone else got all their shit out of my van. Now it's just my stuff. So. Well, that probably makes now it easier, yeah. It smell, yeah, it smells better. It's it's a better place. I did the laundry today, and yeah, yeah, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling better about my my not so exciting lifestyle. <laughs> well, actually, it's, uh, hopefully, it seems pretty cool to not, me. Hopefully, I mean. I'm I'm ready for I'm ready for things to calm down. You can get tired of the weather wherever you're at and just head out somewhere else, or I don't know. There's like a I can, yeah. But yeah, like, yeah, I can. It's not all. It's not all perfect, but but there's. I've had, I've had an interesting year so far, and I still have some money left, so that's good. I need to go back and make some money, apparently. So. So we got a New York City uh, holding. If you want to talk New York City, hit star eight. If you're just listening, then you don't have to punch in any numbers. But if you want to talk, hit star eight. Uh, we had Southern California. That probably was John. I th- guess he had to. John. Uh, yeah, he came on. It looked oh, like he was on for a minute, and then he dropped off. I think his his uh, one of his children maybe woke up or something. Uh, Never know. Yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, so. You're already you only only been out there like a year, and you're already tired of it. Year and a half or something. Um. No, I'm not tired of it, but um. Yeah, you know, it's it's. Sometimes you just need a change of pace. It's been the it's been the same thing for several weeks, and. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to give up though. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get a full time job. I'm just going to do the. Oh no no. Do the no. part time thing. Yeah, don't get a. Yeah, I'm not. Whatever you I'm do, not don't ready to jump time. back on the. I'm. I'm staying off the bandwagon, for the time being. So. If I had any it's advice so for any young person, I would give them would be never no. get a full time job. Ever. Yeah, just I would. My advice would be just do the best you can not to participate in society because it's evil 
and the thing the things that are really bad i think are uh yeah money if you can like solve all your money problems and and uh live your life without having to think about it too much that's really good and then don't watch any media like media content has been pretty corrupted so you have to be very careful about what you watch and not get uh overworked up about that it's my been my experience and then yeah western medicine is horrible so you should probably cancel your insurance and find a witch doctor or something anything would probably be better um with a few exceptions and um yeah there's just and and i had this like list of things that like problems that and and then pretty much everyone was on board with those things those were seemed like really obvious things as far as hippie intentional communities that they they all are working hard on on a not participating too much in society only as as much as necessary and uh and they're really cool about money there's lot there's lots of poor people but they they will not ask you for money that's like the last thing they want to do is um is they 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 want to they want to spread happiness it seems like it seems like it it's it seems like um a lot a lot of the people that are um down and out um they they want to they want to be there because they figured something out i i was impressed about that i thought i thought maybe the opposite was true but um yeah there's there's lots of good feelings among the down and out people that are searching for solutions and that i think it's i think the biggest counterculture thing going on are are the um it's too bad they don't have more resources and they can't they can't i mean use reason to get organized and things like that but um i think people are very motivated to um reject what society has become and and to create their own traditions and their own media content and and it's important and i'm i'm very supportive of them even if i'm not totally on board even if i don't think their methodology is perfect or their lifestyle is um exactly what i want and there's a lot there's a lot of kind-hearted people that are that are thinking about the future and um and it's a it's the counterculture it's it's the thing that's going to be it's what's i mean if if there's going to be a big divide between people i think it's going to be between in the future it's going to be between the normie type people that are that are trying to um have that nice job and and do everything right and keep up with the Joneses, and then, the, then there's the people that are that are uh, saying they've got a totally different agenda. It could be something very personal. It could be lots of different things. But there's there's going to be people that tune out to the media, and they're just going to laugh at at all the ridiculous things they throw at it throw at us coming up, and um. And I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be on the right side. I don't want to be I don't want to be the guy that sits there. I mean, so you uh, at your van right now? Yeah, I'm in my van. Um, are you uh driving or kind of parked? I'm not driving. No. Oh, okay. Nope. So um, no, yeah, if you can, 
if you can, if you would, uh, take a look at your air filter and see if it needs changed or cleaned. It's going to... Oh, I bet it do does. That. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's been... It's probably time for that. It'll get me some better mileage, I bet. Well, I think it's important. Like We don't think about our filters, you know, like our our air filter on our car. We can neglect Fuel those filter, things. Air Fuel filter. filter. Air filter. Yeah, I pulled my air conditioner apart. I was I was belly aching about that on the last call because it just wasn't working very good. And if you hear the compressor in it, like it's uh, it sounds like it's struggling. It's probably clogged. But I pulled it apart and it was like, man, this thing is just dirty. I don't. It's like I have. I don't even have pets, and it looked like I had pets. I don't know where all that. Uh, debris comes from that was clogging it up but it was like a it was like a sheet of like debris like a gray it looked like a sweater on the like a pit like it was like the the back grill or whatever they call that thing the the aluminum fins like it like it was covered with a sweater or something it was just nasty so i peeled off the layer of that I was like, no wonder the damn thing's not working. They can't get no air through the thing. And I couldn't see that by looking inside the thing from outside because it has this shroud over the back. So you have to pull the damn thing apart, which you take about about two dozen screws out of the damn thing. And then and then you got to like be real careful not to break the thing as you're trying to get back there to clean it. It's the craziest damn thing, man. It's just the way they make air conditioners is I guess they they want to discourage you from cleaning them and you're supposed to just throw it out and buy a new one I guess and I see those yeah, around Pe- people do that they'll throw these out and it's like shit I mean I wish I could get notified on those because you could take them and uh, clean them and they probably work and then resell them or if they don't work you can pull the copper out of them and well I don't know if copper's worth any money anymore but used to you could take uh one ac unit like that pull the copper out of it It takes you like 10 minutes you know once you get the damn screws out of it and then uh you cut the copper off you throw it in a bucket yeah i had a i had a honda element and someone tried to take a hacksaw and cut the catalytic converter off for the there's platinum in the there's a little bit of platinum yeah platinum in there that used to that used to be like you could you could get a catalytic converter and sell it for thirty bucks at the scrapyard. I mean, I never, I, I would, they, they, I would never cut, cut them off anybody's car, but like I've, uh, yeah, they, they you can and, get them and didn't leave. What's yeah, that again? I, they didn't, they didn't. I'm sorry, they, uh, they tried to cut it off and just cut a hole in my exhaust. Oh, that's nice. So it they, sounds they like didn't, a hot rod now. So it's like I. Yeah, they just had to weld it back. It was okay, but you gotta look out. Yeah, those my AC works great, but it's pretty late. It's pretty late model van, so yeah. Thank God the AC works, but mostly I've been mostly the weather's been nice. And Northern California is just beautiful weather. Very bad cell service, but beautiful weather and. Yeah, it's just 
It's been yeah, it's been pretty awesome. I'm not quite I'm not quite sure what to say about it yet. I haven't quite formed in my mind what kind of an experience I've had. It's just been kind of a whirlwind. So did uh, you go out there for the festival? I went out originally. Let's see. There's the there's the Rainbow Gathering, and that was in in the uh, forest in Central Oregon, and yeah, I was just with a group, and we were just we were just kind of doing whatever. We met some people, and then we hung out with them. We went to Eugene, Oregon. We went to Grand or to um, yeah, and then we went to Mount Shasta, and then we drove over a huge mountain pass. And yeah, there's I would I would say that that uh, most of the people I met. I mean, I'm I'm like really glad I met them, and there, there's people that I'm going to stay in touch with, but. I mean, it's 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 just kind of hit or miss. You never know. I'm, I'm um, you can travel around and and uh, there's going to be all kinds of shitheads and there's going to be all kinds of <laughs> there's going to be all kinds of and yet you kind of have to sift through the shitheads to find the people that are worth talking to and spending time with, which can you know, pretty tricky sometimes. I don't know. But it's good. I'll have to keep you posted. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking about, uh, I think I'll be in the area in the next week or two. So, yeah, I've got, I've got all kinds of, I've got all kinds of stories to tell. It's probably not best for the call, but if you want to hear about hippie drama, I can tell you about hippie drama. But there's plenty of it. Yeah, let me know, man. Uh, yeah. That, that, uh. Yeah, swing by. Oh, I never did uh, yeah. fix that deal on your van you wanted to check out. Did you ever resolve? That I never or? fixed anything. Yeah, I never, I never did fix anything. It's been fine so far. So. Oh, okay. I've been, I've been saving my pennies for gas and groceries and beer, and so that's pretty much my only priority. Anything, 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 anything that's like. But anyway. But the money-making season is coming up, so maybe I'll be putting the extra bat, like the the house battery. That would be handy to have, I suppose. I really didn't need it too much, though. Yeah, like we were talking about. Looks like we got uh, Southern California on the call. Oh. What's going on, Southern California? What's up? It's John. What's up, buddy, bro? What's going on? Bro Cephas. Are you, uh... Just... Are you free and clear on the call? The kid, the, the kiddos are down for the count. Don't kids go to bed early? Aren't they supposed to go to bed early, or...? They don't. Yeah, my, my children do, yeah. I'm impressed. They yeah. go to bed at 8 o'clock. Because my sister's kids, they don't ever sleep, I don't think. Or I don't remember them used to. Like, It's like, why? It's like, oh, your kids are still... Why, why are your kids up? It's like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, for crying out loud. But, I mean, I don't know. She's my half-sister. But, uh... uh yeah. <laughs> 
I, it's like crazy. It's it's uh, she uh, something else. But I I'm not yeah I'm not gonna bring up my uh, family members on the call. But uh, no, it's like uh, <laughs> now kids don't sleep. Some kids don't because they got they got uh, they'll be like ten years old with a and they have their own um, smartphone. So they stay up all night watching uh, YouTube videos or uh, what's that candy corn game or whatever the hell that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> who's all who's all on the call right now? It's a uh, doc, uh, doctor, Buster Clock. Hi, John. Oh, okay, and hello. How you doing? Hi there. Not 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 too bad. Oh, it's just you guys. Yeah. It's just the three of us, I think, yeah. Okay. Not too bad. And uh what are you guys uh what were you guys talking about before I busted in? Did you hear the uh beginning of the call, any of it? I didn't I, I was actually I was trying to listen but my son was still up and he kept pulling my earbuds out of my ear, so I just <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, gave up until he went to sleep. Well, I was reading that. Uh, I read a couple of paragraphs out of that Vance, Vance Packard uh, Nation of Strangers book. Oh, right. Okay. That's the one. Uh, that's the one you just got in the mail. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so I'm talking about that, and then Doctor Buster Cluck calls in, which he, which he's staying in his van. Which I thought that was pretty uh, appropriate. As we speak, yeah. Um, John, are you considering moving, or like so? You got a oh, yes I'm, situation. I am considering where... it absolutely. It's so there. there you go, another example. It's going to have to happen at some point, um, but yeah, it's. It's just, it's interesting because that book, um, you know, uh, Nation of Strangers, that book kind of points out something that's been happening for a while, but people didn't really recognize it as such because it was kind of being, um, it was a concocted culture. It was, it was we don't tend to look at it as, um, World War II was a complete, total restructuring of American life that existed prior to World War II. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was a total restructuring of everything. That's where you get the advent of the nuclear family. You get the advent of the isolated suburbs. Um, and then the the nuclear family kind of takes off because there's this popularization of the idea that you know you're going to move cross country to be uh, you know to be an organization man and so whereas people in other times would live in you know close knit communities and grow up you know with their families or whatever and and even that was was interesting. I'm reading something about this kind of related to this right now is like, 
is like even that had kind of changed. Um, it's interesting to see all the different phases of um, manipulating the family structure, but see, whereas in an earlier time period, like people kind of congregated together in towns and, and live there um, for the most part for like a common good. But like it with the advent of mass industrialization, people moved into towns and they congregated and lived together because they all worked in the same factory. So, like, even industrialization reshaped, you know, small towns and things like that. And and the um, the post-World War II period was even a, a step away from that. Because now you had people who were moving out of their the towns that they had grown up in and moving cross-country to different places to take jobs and... Uh, the um you know the 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 mass corp the ma- the the mega corporate entities like t- turned it up a notch after world war 2 and were able to say well you know jim from this small town in north carolina here well you know he graduated from a local college and he's an engineer well, well let's get him and his family to move out to uh, the west coast and hire him for uh you know, general dynamics. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, well, yeah. I can make a good salary, but I have to move. But, well, I got to do it for my family. It's the nuclear family. And then also World War II, there was a lot of women entering the workforce because all the men go overseas. And then they had, to, uh, they had to man the factories and they had to man them with women. And uh, so that that really kicked that off in earnest with the uh, women in the workforce. So that was a big social. So that's what what war is. And the more we go into this stuff and these different subjects, the more it's it becomes clear. It's like the the whole purpose behind war, like what it what it does in reality. It's uh, restructuring of society, social engineering on a large scale. And uh, I, I, I believe, too, it's like you could just... I, I think the Vietnam War was an economic strategy more than anything as far as um, kind of... It's like, you know, I bring up that analogy which uh, Alan Watt uses. It's, it's, you know, it's a business. It's like, the you know, the earth, uh, the globe is run like a business. And then you see that now, which uh, that that strategic, uh, as far as economics goes, it's, it's, Vietnam is strategic in, uh, in in Asia there, in that region. And then, uh, yeah, you can go read right now where they're call they're you know calling for people. Oh yeah, invest in Vietnam. Invest in you know it's this uh, strategic economic location and. Uh, they uh, took and just socially re-engineered that whole place and made it uh, uh, accommodating of industry. Yeah, that was interesting to find. We we talked about that on one of the afternoon commutes. It was just interesting to find that Rand Corporation document where it actually talks about how that that was the plan. 
Oh yeah, right. Um, that too, yeah. Yeah, that was a, okay. that was that was just something I accidentally found just perusing a Rand Corporation document, but it was um but, you know, also what we've talked about is that the Vietnam War, you know, provided the the uh pushboard for the counterculture to exist. And that whole thing, you know, uh, from the upper echelons was definitely manufactured. And and, and it's just interesting to look at um, it's just interesting to think that that this, you know, it's like we, you and I were talking privately the other day about about that book about that nation of strangers book not the book itself but the actual copy that you got um you got it from a library right yes the library of the college of the redwoods yeah and i I made a comment to you that it's just funny now because i'll 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 give you an example I, i recently um I recently was in a in a library uh, bookstore where they sell you know fifty cent quarter books, and it was a bunch of library discards, and I got I'm not kidding uh, I'll I'll send you the pictures I got literally a stack of CIA biographies. Wow! Hell yeah! And. And you know, so I've got the I got the biography of Richard Helms. I got the biography of Wild Bill Donovan. Um, I got a book called The History of the OSS. I got another book called um, oh, what was the other one? The Good Spy. And it's some it's some CIA biography. I can't remember. I'd have to dig it out. But but anyways. And they were all coming from libraries. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that they're just, you know, kind of getting rid of all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And and you and I were, were talking about how, like, oh, it's interesting. Like, they don't need the Vance Packard book anymore, you know? Um, and you said it had only been checked out three times since it had been there since 1976. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it's it's funny when you see things like that. I mean, it's not funny, but it's funny because um, the one the one thing I did hear when I was listening earlier, you were, you were saying something about how you know books don't have all the answers, but books do have some of the answers. Yeah, and well, that's that. I think I think for me too, like when I'm reading something like this, it, it like a, like a like a writer like Vance Packard. I mean, I think he's a very good writer. Uh, that you can get um, way, ways to it's just, you know the phrasing of things and the way that he puts things and 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 then offering up some different insights into stuff. I, I think that's books are 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 you know some books are really uh, good at that. Helping you kind of formulate well, thoughts. Well, you know, you know, with the with the things that we've been doing on some of the more recent afternoon commutes, I'm not going to 
denied that most of the stuff that we read or like, you know, like take that nations of nation of strangers books. I mean, it's, it's basically reinforcement of things we already inherently kind of have figured out on our own. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. And, and, but, but it's, it's interesting to see it in print because for most people, they're not going to just, if if you if you or I or you know the the good doctor here were to get on um, a podcast and just kind of start rattling stuff off, and you didn't have something to back it up, everybody would say you're a conspiracy theorist or you're kooky or that's crazy. There's no way there's no way society's socially engineered to that you know degree, um, and I, I say degree. Uh, uh, not facetiously. Um, it, so it's always interesting to find these books and where these people are talking about things that we've, you know, like I said, that we know. And and it, it it's also kind of funny. Like, do you ever do you ever read something and kind of find it humorous? And you're thinking like. Like I, I know this to be a truth already, and it's so funny that there's a book that's a, in existence that's actually talking about how this is being socially engineered. Oh, I've got a quick example if you if I can interject. There's mm-hmm. one in from the there's one from the seventies called Limits to Growth, and they it's a full it's just a little paperback book, millions of them, and and they and it was all kinds of graphs about how the world's going to come to an end and there's going to be an ice age and um, all the all the resources are going to be gone before the turn of the century and um, I've got I didn't bring it with me but I've got a copy limit the limits to growth it was was yeah I've got, I've got one I've got a copy on the bookshelf over there to the club yes. room um, it now this is kind of funny you can you could look this up did you know, like, a couple of years ago, um, the CFR had to come out and basically say the limits to growth was was incorrect? Well, it's obviously right. incorrect. They had to, <laughs> I, guess if they, I guess they felt so guilty they had to come out and say it, so that's a good yeah, thing. They had, they, had to re, they had to recant it in, in, an, in a foreign affairs article. There was somebody wrote an, an article in foreign affairs saying that uh, – Basically, everything that they said in limits to growth never never came to fruition. Um, but that still didn't that still doesn't mean that climate change isn't isn't a hoax. It, it, it's still real though. But but limits to growth was just incorrect in their uh, you know number number fudgery. Yeah, well. It was very, I remember I was a little kid and I was reading it and I was just shocked and appalled and I was like loving Bill Clinton and everything. It was all good. We got to save the earth from ourselves because we're so, because we've infested the earth and, mm-hmm. and we, and we are the problem and it's not corporations. The corporations are not really doing that much environmental damage. Um, the finger is pointed at us as individuals just because breathing and driving and any of the things that we participate in 
Um, it's just destroying the entire world, and, and uh, we should be punished, I, su- I suppose, or taxed, or something should something bad should happen to us just for being human beings because we are we're parasites. We're an infestation upon the world. So, and and that kind of I think that makes uh, kind of corporations are kind of off the hook as a result of that. I think that may be part of the motivation. So. Well, the corporation. Well, yeah, the corporations are, of course, the ones who fund things like the limits to growth into existence. Um, and it's it's funny too, like like you're saying, like um, it's a bizarre, like uh you know, 360 that we, we live in here, like, we're, you're told, okay, so, like, the the average person is not cognitively aware of, of consumptive, of, you know, um, of uh, conspicuous consumerism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just go to the store, they buy what they, what they get, you know, they're not thinking about, they're, they're you know, a lot of people are quote unquote living beyond their means, but it's very necessary that when they go to the store, they get all sorts of different things. You know, maybe they go to the Best Buy, you know, a couple times a week, um, you know, buy some DVDs for the kids or whatever. And all this kind of stuff is kind of necessary. And we, and most people live in a very disposable society. I know it because when they have the, the garage sale, week here once a month um there's just people with piles of junk just piles and piles and piles of junk right um now through advertising marketing and court and corporate lifestyle everybody was taught to be unaware to be to be cognitively unaware of the fact that that they're doing this right but then at the same time, you're told by the media and by things like limits to growth that, oh, well, you're bad because you, you know, drive a car, you know, you're burning fossil fuels and, you know, maybe you're using too much plastic or whatever it is, right? Yeah, they're just, like the finger is just turned straight around. I mean, the, the obvi- obviously corporate decisions are responsible for all these things. But, um, I mean, we, we don't have any control as, as consumers. I mean, we're just like suckling infants. I mean, we, any people are affected by marketing and it's just, it's just going to fuck, it's just going to happen. And, and, and they're trying to say that, that we should take responsibility for responding to their marketing techniques that they're spending billions of dollars on. And, um, and in in reality, I mean, the thing, the finger. If people would figure it out, the finger would just be pointed directly in the up in the opposite direction. That the the people that are that are trying to blame consumerism for this and that. I mean, I mean, they're the same. They're the same people that are spending all the money on their marketing budget no. for to get people to do those things. I, I mean, it's just total hypocrisy. And and if if people would just turn off. All media. I mean, they seem to, I mean, there's, maybe there's good media you could make. If, if you make your own media, there's there's you can there's other things you can concern yourself with. 
other than um well well i mean maybe that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but but um yeah they, they they want to point the finger at the people that are actually um that, that that's their bread and butter people have to people have to participate they have to they have to buy all these things or else it's, things aren't going to work out for the for the shareholders i mean they they need they're legally bound to to create maximum return on investment for the shareholders so that's going to happen no matter what and and what and whatever sort of story they make up about who's to blame i mean it, it's just going to be um it's it's just a way to maximize their i mean they're that's a, they're, they have meetings all the time they're, they're trying to do that all the time they, what, whatever it takes to convince people to keep on doing whatever it is to to get those shareholders that profit so um i mean that that pretty much explains anything you don't have to you don't have to get too philosophical it's just it's just it's just follow the money up to the top seems to me like so yeah that worked that time john when you called me on skype it oh good yeah it It was good Oh, wow. my my Man, phone line my phone my phone line was getting fuzzy so yeah you sound like night and day different on Skype than on uh I know yeah. I know like it, it's so funny to listen to these past couple of calls and then um, hear some of the old calls and just how terrible my phone sound was compared to these uh, later ones but in response. Uh, to uh, what the doc the doctor was saying here, I was gonna. Uh, I'll still use this in in a talk that Chris and I are gonna do this week. But since he was bringing this up, um, it's relevant to what he was saying. Uh, there was a book written by um, Hilary Belloc, and it's called The Servile State. And he wrote this in 1910. And and what what he basically says the the good the thing that I like about Mr. Belloc whether I actually agree with you know him entirely or not is not the thing but what 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 was apparent was is he was neither a capitalist nor a socialist um and in his book here what he kind of says is that. For as long as we can tell in history, there has always been slavery. And so he's writing it in 1910, right, you know, kind of as the the mega capitalist and, you know, industrial stuff is moving into Britain mm-hmm. um, in, in full force. And so he's saying, look, you know. Uh, slave, slavery was allegedly done away with, um, but it's coming back and it's coming back in the form of mega corporations industrializing the world. And he, he goes on to say that capitalism as, as much as people would like to think actually doesn't, he said it does the opposite of freedom, which I I was saying that Chris and I are going to do a talk later this week on freedom on the word freedom itself in particular, but he, um, he has this quote in here, and um, 
it's pretty interesting that he's writing he's writing this at nineteen in nineteen ten. And I've been going through a series of, of older books and kind of looking at like how um how you can go back into some of these old books, whether it be fiction or nonfiction, and they're pretty much saying the same thing that anybody would say on any one of these calls. And they're saying it, you know, in the in the late eighteen hundreds or in the nineteen hundreds. Okay. So here's what he says. He says, now here again, as in the case of the insecurity produced by age and sickness, capitalism cannot be pursued to its logical conclusion, and it is the element of freedom which suffers. Competition is, as a fact, restricted to an increasing extent by an understanding between the competitors accompanied, especially in this country, by the ruin of the smaller competitor through secret conspiracies entered into by the larger men and supported by the secret political forces of the state. In a word, capitalism proving almost as unstable to the owners as the non-owners is tending toward stability by losing its essential character of political freedom. No better proof of the instability of capitalism as a system could be desired. Take any one of the numerous trusts which now control English industry and have made of modern England the type quoted throughout the continent of artificial monopolies. If the full formula of capitalism were accepted by our courts or executive statesmen, anyone could start a rival business, undersell those trusts, and shatter the comparative security they afford to industry within their field. The reason that no one does this is that political freedom is not as a fact protected here by the courts in commercial affairs. A man attempting to compete with one of our great English trusts would find himself at once undersold. He might by all the spirit of European law for centuries, indict those who would ruin him, citing them for conspiracy and restraint of trade. Of this conspiracy, he would find the judge and the polit- politicians most heartily in support. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's uh, I think very relevant to a lot of stuff we're seeing today. Well, with your free speech rights, right? The uh, YouTube and the... Uh, I've heard this too with uh, this this Patreon uh, thing where people can pay uh, content creators f- uh, per episode or it's some, some kind of deal. They shut somebody's channel off. I think it was one of these... Uh, people who identify as a uh, alt-writer or uh, uh, it was uh, this blonde gal um, uh, what is her name she, had, she claims that Patreon uh, took her, uh, closed her account but you know here again is this um, you know I think this is just an example of this um, this corporate feudalism or like YouTube can, uh, well, they snatched one of my videos off the, uh, shooting epidemic. We can't stop laughing. They took that video down and they said, well, you violated our, our, uh, community guideline policy. And, and then I, I answered back. I said, well, you know, specifically which one and how, like how did they never answered back? They'd never re- reinstated the video. They never answered me. Um, so they're a private corporation, right? I, I, I don't think they are. I think Google is NSA and Facebook is uh, in Q- Q- 
came out of NQTEL, which is CIA. They funded it. So then it, I think by definition, it would be a public concern at that point. But no, it's regarded as private, so they can do whatever they want. But uh, I, I, I highly doubt that Google got to the point it is by <laughs> ad, ad works or whatever. That's absurd. I mean, they're, they're, they're this major conglomerate, and they didn't get well, that way by selling little pissant ads on blogs. No, and, and if, if anybody wants to go back into the archives and listen to the talks that Chris and I did on Southern California and or the aerospace industry in general... The suburbs couldn't have been built. The aerospace couldn't have been built. The tech world couldn't have been built. The mass media couldn't have been built if it wasn't for taxation. It was all taken, and and all of those industries were subsidized by the sweat of the average person the money was used and basically for lack of a better word um but you know just to be quite frank it was basically laundered through the government yeah they 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 laundered it used it it got kicked back to and then when it gets kicked back to you in your tax return or you know some form of um you know filling potholes or some nonsense by that time, the money is devalued. So you don't even get to use the money when it's worth more. The banks, the corporations in forms of corporate welfare and subsidies, they all get to use the money that you make because they steal it directly out of your paycheck, right? Yeah. Um, of course, we can't forget the medical industry as well, stealing money directly out of your paycheck. So, well, real quick, I could tell you who we have to give credit to for that is uh, like the guy I brought up on. Uh, it was a call, uh, last call was a uh, Beardsley Rummel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So. So you know on on. On the talk we were, one of the talks we were doing about the suburbs, um, if anybody hasn't heard that one, the suburb, you know, the how the cheap housing that was, you know, the, all all the cheap housing that was built everywhere in the forms of suburbs, were all s- built through subsidies from the government, FHA loans and whatnot. So you think about it, the average person in the 1950s who went to go purchase a home. They actually paid for that house to be built, and then they had to go buy the home, too. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That is, yeah. Well, that's the, uh, because, you know, so you could maybe say, oh, well, Hoaxbusters calls anti-capitalists. I don't know about them guys. It's like, well, as, as it stands capitalism as it's as it's uh conceptualized by a lot of people doesn't even exist it it probably never has existed it, it, the the so-called free market it, i don't think we've ever had anything approaching a free market in a lot of never. respects yeah and not to say that you can't open a business and compete with a local guy that's that's not what I'm saying. It's just like on, on a larger scale it's never existed and there's only been uh, 
well, I brought up before, like chain stores used to be a brief for a brief period of time. It used to be where chain stores weren't allowed to open up stores all over the country like they are now because they saw the the eroding uh, eroding effect it had on communities. But um, that that was just for a brief period. But then that was done away with. But then, yeah, we've never had any such thing as a free market, especially with what you just pointed out, John. And uh, yeah, what? one more thing about that Beardsley Rummel guy. Um, he's, it's attributed to him to have your uh, withholdings taken out of your check instead of what they used to do is at the end of the year, you just write a, one big check to the government. Well, he came up with the idea, well, you know, we just have withholdings and then you get tax returns. So that, that all came from him. But he's also said that taxation as it stands, like the income tax, like we, you know, the government taking from the, from the worker out of their check is obsolete. So that it's, it's unnecessary. You don't have to do that. And that, that's something that I've been pointing out on the calls. Um, and then when I was looking into who he was, then that's, I found out that, yeah, he, he actually made public statements to that effect. He says that, that, that the income tax is obsolete and well, it is obsolete, but and there's a high overhead that's involved in doing those, um, ta- you know, the, the, the withholdings out of your check. But uh, it's very inefficient. It's very uh, expensive to have the bureaucracy, the IRS, in place to, to handle all that. But it is purely for social engineering. That's the only reason why it exists. And, uh, yeah, there really is no distinction between well, the large corporations the, the, and the government. The other thing is, is if you were to get rid of all the, all of that infrastructure and bureaucracy, then you might actually have money to give back to the people and you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> no. But I'm a big be... fan of... Go ahead. I was, I was going to interject briefly. This is Dr. Buster Clark. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, I think just <laughs> just a bank of it's called Bank of the Woods. You just take your stuff and you put it in a five-gallon bucket and write down the GPS coordinates and go bury it out in the woods. And and I mean, if if there's potential for the bank fleecing you, if if I mean then it starts to look like a much better option just just to i i mean if if you want to if if the op if the object is to plan for the future i mean just try to think about what the, what is the future going to hold put it in five gallon buckets and bury it out in the woods if you happen to have i mean plenty of resources at the time i i mean there there's there's alternatives to the banking system. I mean, that's just like a very basic one, but, um, and, and the ones that are, I think the ones that are the most feasible are, um, the ones that people don't talk about all the time. I mean, if, if there's, if it's, if it's the dark web or if it, or if it's Ron Paul coins or some shit like that, I mean, that, that's probably not, that's probably not the way you want to go. But but if but if you can just find a practical way to to get the most utility out of your um, out of your money, I mean I mean that that's that that's the object you just want to provide for your family and you want to 
And over the years, I mean, you, you don't have to like play into some risky scheme that's that's rips people off over and over. I mean, when people when people start to figure that out, that's what I think. That's what they're worried about. They're worried about people just totally checking out and not. I mean, you get a, you get a bill in the mail and you just put deceased on it and send it back or something. If people started doing that, it would be a serious, serious problem. And, and, and it would be hard to, I mean, I mean, just, just not just non-participatory action. I think, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's, you get immediate results from that. And, um, there's plenty of people out there, especially young people out there that, that they'd be just be totally on board with that. I mean, they're just looking for a way out, um, a way not to, not to, um, have to participate in all the things that, that they're down on. So, um, anyway, that was it. That was my interjection. Cool. So, John, you sent me a link to an article talking about Milton Friedman. He's that's attributed the withholdings is uh, attributed to him. Yeah, that's an inter- that's an interview with him that Reason Magazine did, which is a libertarian magazine, um, and they're pointing out how Milton Friedman. <laughs> helped to create the IRS tax withholdings, which is interesting because every all, every conservative or like libertarian, you know, kind of moderate mod, moderate libertarians love Milton Friedman because he's so, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's so he's so conservative. But yeah, he actually helped the IRS. He worked for the Treasury Department. At one point, and um, actually came up with the idea of of stealing uh, taxes right out of your paycheck. Yeah. Hmm. Thanks, Milton. Yeah. Thanks, man. You check that article out. I'm gonna have to go here, guys. Sounds like uh, one of the sounds like the baby's uh, up. He's teething, so he's a little cranky. All right, John. Have a good night. Talk to, you gen- talk to you gentlemen later. It's good talking to you guys. All right. Thanks, man. Doctor, good night. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Good night. Anyone home? <laughs> yeah, I'm still here. Uh, it's just you and me. <laughs> So you get your taxes taken out of your check thanks to Milton Friedman. I I was I don't know where I was reading that about Beardsley Rummel coming up with that particular idea. I don't know. It says that Milton Friedman helped in that idea. Maybe it was uh Beardsley Rummel Milton Friedman uh collaboration on that. I don't know the exact details, but uh yeah, great idea. Maybe, great idea. Sorry, yeah, well Maybe Milton Friedman, if he like woke up in a dumpster someday, it might have saved the world. Who knows? It says uh, you could not do that. Well, it said uh, World War One was a very small fraction of the total war expenditure was financed by taxes, so we had a doubling of <laughs> prices during the war and after the war. 
at the outbreak of World War II, the Treasury was determined not to make the same mistake again. You could not do that during wartime or peacetime without withholding. And so people of the Treasury Tax Research Department, where I was working, investigated various methods of withholding. I was one of the small technical group that worked on developing it. But, uh, the major opponents of the idea was IRS because every organization knows that the only way you can do anything is the way they've always been doing it. And this was something new and they had to keep telling us how impossible it was and it was a very interesting and very challenging intellectual task. I played a significant role, no question about it, introducing withholding. I think it's a great mistake to peace, for peacetime, but in 1941 through 1943 all of us were concentrating on the war. I have no apologies for it, but I really wish I hadn't found it necessary, and I wish that there was some way of abolishing withholding now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, well, These well. people are just so absolutely full of shit. It's just startling sometimes when you read this. Well, I, I would like to think. I would like to think if they did, if they wanted to have a big fat war, if they wanted to have a big fat media event or whatever that people would not go for it, that, that there would not, they would not be able to have a draft that, that, um, that there'd be, that people would just tune out to it. I mean, cause the ratings are so low. I mean, I mean, if there was, if there was a war, people would probably just, I mean, the people I've, that I've met lately would probably just laugh about it. I mean, there's, Oh yeah, there's a war and there's a war in Syria or whatever. And uh, I know there's lots of foundations and there's lots of, I mean, people want to have peace and everything, but but that that just doesn't jive with with uh, whatever they put on TV. I mean, I mean, I, I, it seems like it seems like the it, the people that want peace and the people that um that they, they they don't watch TV that much. I mean, I mean, they 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 just they just want like peace, like the vibrations and. And some people talk about aliens and there's drugs and stuff and and I I, I think a lot of a lot of the people that want peace in the world and they're, they're, it's just that I think you're right that that the media has just become an abstraction and that I don't know if you've talked about that before but but people just don't watch that don't watch it very much and they don't and 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 what that means is that they'll just be more susceptible to if, if someone has another idea, I mean, good or bad, if so, if someone, if someone has something that's going to shake up the system, it, it's just going to be, I mean, I think, I think since people are tuned out to the media, since it's become so bland and no one watches it and that, that, uh, that maybe that's working against them and they, they should worry about, I mean, flower power or, in, 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 if, so, if someone has another um, concept as far as lifestyle or how to live your life, or especially poor people that are that are living on government assistance or something, I mean, that they could they're they're they are looking for solutions. They they don't want to sit in their in their Section Eight apartment their whole lives. And I mean, if if you can move into a school bus or if you can. Um, live on a farm or whatever. I mean, people are ready to do that. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's just the kind of thing that, uh, that, that's the low hanging fruit. That would, that would be the easiest thing. 
to do because just there's just plenty of people that are ready to work. I mean, just just because people aren't getting paid doesn't mean they don't want to work. I, I mean, there's there's plenty of hardworking people that could work on a farm or could work on so, so if any kind of money making operation. I mean, legal or not, they, I mean, there's there's people that could that could would be willing to do it. I mean, all you need is someone. And 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 if if it's if the problem is mobility, if there's if there's profit to be made by by going around to different cities or whatever, I mean that's taken care of. I mean you can buy you can buy a school bus for a few thousand dollars and and uh, I think what tends to happen is there's there's one person like an older person that has some money and they buy the school bus and they want to create an intentional community. And then, there, then there's people. Um, it, it's I, I, it's kind of it's kind of a tentative tentative situation because there's a lot of there's a lot of people that want to do that, and it's like the counterculture that people don't don't talk about that that's just in certain regions. So I don't oh, yeah, know. There's I, I mean, going to be I think going to be it that noise has been to one degree or another with the so-called breakaway communities or what have you. I mean, we talked about that, how uh, there's been numerous uh, movements and uh, they kind of fall into the same kind of category generally. And they, uh, yeah, I think that really got kicked off in the 60s, late 60s. And uh, so, yeah, that's something that's been around a while. These communities, sort of hippie communities. And it's interesting, too, how a lot of it's tied into the uh, the computer and Internet uh, whole Silicon Valley. And even to the, well, I mean, you got Burning Man today, which is kind of like a continuation of all that. And uh, that is... Uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is. I, I, it's still kind of a bit puzzling to me that tie-in between the the, the, the development of the internet, the popularization whole... of it, and hippies and hippie communes and and sort of cults. That's a that's an interesting. I don't know. There's people don't people don't really talk about what's going on currently. I mean, I mean, there's. I mean, if, if you go around. I, all I'm speaking from is is from my personal experience traveling around. It it, it seems like, um, and there's YouTube. People have their channels. It's it's from my experience. You'll you'll have a community full of people. I mean, a certain percentage of them are just hangers on. I, I mean, they 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 need they need a community for subsistence. So they're there, and and they could they could be important members of the community, but but um, and then there and then there's other people that have some resources, and they they could potentially have an agenda, but but they're but there's but they pass the the talking stick around, and there's there's you, you can't really you can't really uh, focus the money any particular way that the, the way it seems like most of these communities are but but i've heard and and what what happens is there ends up being drama there's there's people there's usually if you say you have a hundred people living on a few buses um 
there's going to be a few that are going to step forward and they, they want to be the, the voice or they have, they have a certain personality that wants them that, that, uh, that's, and, and it's just, and it's just drama. There's, there's so many good causes out there. I mean, a cause is, is an abstraction to some extent, I think. Um, and, and, you can you can motivate people. A cause helps you motivate people. So that that's like that's that's like something that's um, valuable to the to the effort. I mean, in anything, if you if you have a whether it's controversial or some or something that's um, or or something that's just really valuable that helps people. It could it could be a very um, it could be something like a like some beautiful intention, um, but but th- but then there's but then there's trying to raise money and and uh, it's it's just hard to find a system to to have counterculture. Um, that there's just so many complications and there's so many different motivations for wanting to have counterculture, and um, but but I've heard that some of the some of the buses some of the intentional communities and the farms and things. Um, are based more upon a, a business plan, and it, it just seems. I mean, people just need to get practical and and find solutions to um, all the societal dependencies. And and if and if they if they could do that, and and it doesn't it doesn't depend on getting media coverage. I mean, I mean, uh, in anything anything that's. I think anything that's on TV or anything that's getting media coverage, I mean, I mean, that's a big grain of salt right there before you, before you, um, but, but there's, there's lots, there's lots of places to go. If, if, if people are sick of it and they, they want to get out, I mean, there's, there's places to go. You don't have to look too far and, and, Society is run amok. I mean, I mean, people recognize that, and I think that's going to be the the big divide. There's going to be a big divide between people that think society is wonderful and technology and and all all the things in the media, and then there's going to be people that just roll their eyes at that and want to do their own thing. And that and that's going to be, I I, I bet, because because controversy is is so valuable. I mean, if you want to create media content i mean you double your money if you if you have if you have a controversy there's people on one side and the other side and um if if people just check out and do their own thing i mean there's not any controversy and no one wants to talk about it they just they just say haha i've look look i found my i found my little utopia here and and uh and they they're just absorbed with with whatever it is that they they found and and I mean, I, I would say look to independent. Maybe there's some kind of independent media where you can find out about something that's particular to your interests. Um, but but it's it's hard, and then there, and there's plenty of posers, and there's people that are full of shit, and you never know what. <laughs> I mean, it's you just have to use your intuition and find a find a place for yourself. So. Yeah, I mean, there's always that. Uh, well, like you're talking talking about earlier, with the people that kind of congregate towards those uh, 
communities. You got all different types, but then there's going to be the kind of people that want to take advantage. Uh, I, I saw that when I was uh, out uh, hiking on the Appalachian Trail. You had people that would kind of uh, come come around that were sort of uh, they, they kind of would uh, want to get money from other people. They always had like some kind of sad story. It's kind of about, you know, the bums and they're there to kind of, yeah. you know, absorb your energy, you know, and there's, there's so many of those people out now. I mean, we, we, we have a culture and society that breeds those types. They're kind of like entitled and they don't really want to uh, help out in any effort. They want to kind of be there to kind of be supported. And that, just makes any yeah. kind of organizational effort next to impossible so it's kind of a built-in you know a barrier to doing anything realistic on, on on but you know it's not not that it would be impossible but i i don't think but it's like well you would have to have a degree of authoritarianism in order to establish some kind of actual community because you would have to you would have to boot those people out I mean, they want to be there to be supported. They have this this sense of entitlement. They don't want to even lift a finger to do anything. I've seen these people. They don't want to help out at all. It's a, it's almost like they oh, okay. have a, they have an allergy to helping anybody or anything. They they're only there to be served. And, well, and, and, is, and it's this it's this it's sort of rampant narcissism that's in our culture too. It's like it's it's encouraged. Absolutely. It's taught to well, people. It's like um, I don't know, <laughs> but. Um, I don't, I, the stuff I've seen, I've ran across, it, it, it's, it's almost like what uh, real hope can you have for something developing within this system that's going to that's gonna overturn it or be yeah. an alternative? I don't see an answer. I have an answer to that specific thing. So, but, but, but you're saying, yeah, it's, it's really depressing if, if people are just hanging a sign and they say anything helps or, and... And people, maybe people come by and give them money, but it's like very depressing. And and but there's there's the alternative to that. I mean, is busking. If you can like, if you're playing music and you're putting out a what what if you're what if you're putting out you're putting out your hat or your instrument case like for like for donations and and people are playing music and what what if that what if that was going on in front of gas stations and, and I know what happens with the hippie buses is people just show up at the big truck stops and they have a, a five gallon, uh, gas can. And they, they just approach people and they say, well, we're traveling with our family in our, in our hippie bus. Would, wouldn't you like to, wouldn't you like to put the nozzle in our, in our can and, and help us travel on our way then? And, and I mean, most, most times they, they just fill up their tank and they, and they, and it's like magic. It's like the magic bus, and it goes on, goes on their way. But, but um, I mean, how, how are you going to motivate people? I mean, if this magic is going to happen, if people are just going to donate and and make make these things happen, um, I mean, there 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 has there has to be some kind of a reason behind it. I mean. I, and it's it's not it's not ju- it's not just dirty dirty kids just begging. I mean I mean they 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 have they have um they, they know it it just works it just works better if you want if you want to collect more money 
I mean, you ha- you have to have you have to have something go in there. I mean, there, I mean, there's all there's all kinds of things people could do if they if they wanted to raise some money or or they'll just say like, Bob, oh, we need to, we need to get some money together or whatever, <clears throat> and they and they go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's pretty amazing. I've seen I've seen it happen. I mean, you can you can keep a you can keep a um, even if it's some far-fetched kind of a movement like doing LSD and bringing aliens down or whatever, I, I mean, or the vibrations on the on the latitudes and and the full moon is coming and they they have all these things they want to do. I, I mean, even even if it's something far-fetched, if it's if they can have a, if they all get together and they and they come up with a. Um, a good story to, to tell people. I mean, I mean, it's, it's a truthful story. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just their, um, yeah. And they make, they make some, they make some money and they fill they fill up their tank. They can go anywhere in the country in their, in their, in their school bus, like the Partridge family or whatever. And, uh, and it, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty magical how they do it. And, and you don't have to agree with everything, like every single notion they come up with. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, but but you don't have to agree with it. But but um, checking out of society and having some kind of counterculture counterculture structure um, where where they can be funded and they can go places and do things and and um, have property where they have chickens and goats or whatever that whatever it is they're doing. I mean, I mean that's that people shouldn't stand in the way of that. There's, there's nothing. I mean, that seems like a wholesome, uh, like intention. And, yeah. and they, they, well, they you know, here, here's the thing about that. that too. If, if you, if I could, uh, throw something in here on this, it's, it's that, um, yeah, I mean, you have so-called normal society, right? And then I, yeah, I've seen that. I've looked on YouTube and they have some videos and stuff like the, like the, the bus kids or whatever they call themselves. And um, so they want to park in a, just some off to the side, maybe some parking lot or something like that. And then, so, you know, they're there 10 minutes and here's the cops, you know, like, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, are you licensed? Are you have this, you have that. How many people are in the bus? Is the bus overloaded? So it's obviously there to be a, a source of harassment and to discourage anything like that. So you have the system and then the police and all that that are there solely to reinforce the 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 conventions of uh so-called society. And anything that's sort of outside the norm is going to be a source of consternation to the normal people. You know what I mean? All oh, these kids in this bus, well, what are they up to? Are they here to steal something or what's going on? Is it over there in the small town or a different community or, or a small community or something like that, a rural town or something like that? They're just going to be looked on with suspicion. Okay, who are these people? We don't even know who these people are. And then, oh, yeah, next thing you know, the cops are getting involved and then... So they're going to look for anything that they can bust somebody on, and it's just a it's just a form of harassment. And um, so, I mean, in in, a, in free America, that that's very commonplace. Yeah. So I'm sure they have well, to deal I with that. You know, you you have to deal with that. You have to con- you have to confront those things. And 
Um, then, then you know, there's there's kind of the other side of the argument where it's like, yeah, well, I mean, do you really want itinerant people kind of moving through and in and out of different communities? Because, like, you know, it's like they can, you know, snatch stuff. I'm not saying that that's what they do, but they could potentially. So there is kind yeah. of a, 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 a kind of a basis for... I don't, I don't for, think that much... Uh, no, I'm just saying, but that's not that there's anybody stopping yeah, that from happening, which it is happening, and there are people doing that, and there are and there are you know these uh, you know no, nomadic kind of gypsy like people that are going around, and but they're going to get harassed. You're going to get um, that. You're going to get moved along. You're going to get. Uh, it, it's going to. It's, and then in, after a while, it's going to get very old hat. It's going to get, it's, it's going to wear on you. Um, there's just, there is just one system in this uh, continent and you either fall in line to one degree or another, or you're going to get relentlessly harassed. That's the way it is. And, and, you know, I, well, well even I you, think, like I you were in the, alley, like you were staying over here in the alley in your van and what did the cops show up <laughs> 15 minutes later it's like, that was totally cool that, it, those cops were good, good yeah cops. yeah that which uh, totally cool. but still you know they walk I, you I up to Serbia well the, <laughs> yeah but then it's like it, it's something that you got to deal with and then it's like um it but yeah. the, the thing too it's like the the normal people are going to regard you with suspicion oh what is somebody doing in a van you know it's like that's not normal you know it's like the normal is that you know you need to be in a house you need to be going to work every day you need to be uh like everybody else and there's so there's this um there's this pressure uh this there's no law against it there's no law against uh you know living in a van or living in an rv or whatever but um there are repercussions and yeah people have to deal with that but it's like well but yeah, there's always yeah, they, this pressure they, to conform um, always the pressure the thing conform, is if, if you're driving around in a school bus that has peace signs and stuff all over it i mean that that's a different kind of intention they they want they want to they're probably doing they're probably doing protests and and they're all they're all they're ready for i mean i mean they're pretty savvy as far as far as encounters with the law and stuff like that and there's and and may, maybe to their detriment, maybe there's maybe there's, um, and who and who knows? And there could be some bullshit going on as far as the protests and who knows. But but it but there's also people that just that just want to. They they're they're kind of like hippies and they're kind of like they want to have a school bus, but maybe they just have an RV and maybe there's or maybe there's a caravan of two or three RVs and one of them has the kids in it. And it's like, and it's like practically set out and they, and they look for, I mean, I mean, maybe there's some protests involved, but, but it's, but they're looking after each other. It's like a family. I mean, I mean, that, that's the, if you, if you can have, as far as nomadic gypsy or whatever you want to call it. And I think a lot of that is going on. You, you don't hear people talk. It's not in the media or anything. But there's there's people out there living in their vehicles and and some some of them are doing just fine. I mean I mean and they're not bragging about it either. So um, I, I, they they want us to live. It, se- it seems like the trend over the decades is that they want us to live in big cities. They want us to 
Um, all of our disposable income needs, needs to be appropriated to something um, that has to do with big cities and staying there in a big city and traveling is discouraged and, and all the, and especially all the the terrorists and the Islamist extremists and stuff. Um, yeah, it just discourages people from traveling. Um, I think there's opportunities all over the world. I mean, if, if you wanted to, if you've got some money in your pocket and you want to, and you want to check out from, from, uh, all the, uh, trappings of society. I mean, there's places all over the world you can go and live for really cheap and there's expats and there's communities and you, you never hear about that. And, um, yeah, just, just, it's, it's, um, the, the more, the more you get out, you hear, you hear about people making their dreams come true and, and it doesn't, it doesn't have anything, it doesn't have anything to do with keeping up with the Joneses. I mean, it has, it has to do with travel and meeting people and and uh, music and happiness and and pe- people know what people intrinsically I mean intuitively know I mean what what a good community is supposed to be and if it's not there in the suburbs if people if people are just um, if if people are just feeling uh, like like they have they have no idea what a community is and and it's and it's, I mean there's there's it's just gonna it's just gonna happen I think that's hardwired into into humans that there's that there's gonna be I mean people in your life there's gonna be people sharing culture and and uh, and they've tried to replace it with media content and it's just not working I mean sports and sports and soap operas is just not gonna uh, that's just not the bread and circuses that that it's gonna work for the society so, so there's always gonna be various kinds of counterculture things going on and yeah and, and to, in order to figure out what it is I mean you just have to get out there and talk to people and One two one two check check. Yeah. What I've been up to. It's East Maryland. Are you still there? East uh, Maryland. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh check one I two. Have a suggestion. Yeah, this is I need Maryland. one. Can you get close to your phone caller? Because I can have I'm having a hard time hearing you. This is Maryland right here. Can you hear? Uh yeah, it's a little bit better. You sound distant. I bet. How about now? Yeah, that's Is okay. It a bad, uh, all right. But maybe we had a bad, bad line. Yeah, I had a suggestion for uh, bumper music cause, or, you know, closeout music. or entry, You know, you usually pay, play a little music. Uh, yeah, um, I have uh, closing, closing uh, music. Actually, I think, as I recall, you, you like Supertramp, right? You've, you've played a little bit by Supertramp on occasion. Uh, you're probably thinking about Tim. Oh, yeah, right, right. Are you, yeah, you play more like jazz standard. I'm trying to think, what have you played that, well, anyway, uh, yeah, I, this is a, I think, a, uh, this, a bumper music like this is sort of a nod to our, uh, Flat Earth Cousins, uh, 
uh, it would be, uh, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek, it would be uh, Jimi Hendrix, from the Jimi Hendrix Experience, the very first album, uh, The thir- Third Stone from the Sun. Are you familiar with this uh, instrumental? It's a strictly instrumental number. I think he speaks a little bit at the end, but are you, have you ever heard this? Are you familiar with it? I probably heard it. Yeah, I can't recollect it. Uh, re- recollect exactly like, like, how it goes, but that's, that's a good tune. Yeah. I like Third Stone from the Sun. Yet, it's, oh, it's a classic. Well, the whole the whole oh, yeah. album, of course, is a classic now. But but the, that piece in particular is an interesting display of his, you know, uh, sort of uh, take on on that. But anyway, uh, yeah, Third Stone from the Sun, which I guess would be an oblique reference to a conventional, a canonical view of the solar system. He didn't say third. As, as, the third pizza pie from the sun. It's the third stone, a spherical. Well, the stone, stone. The stone was probably a reference to like you know. I guess it could technically <laughs> you know, have been a flat stone, rock. You know, yeah, it was probably a, also a reference to you know, I don't know, a stone in terms of distance, psychic distance. You know, you get, but something like that. So yeah, I thought that would be a good idea. I'm all. Someone ought to ask, someone, someone ought to oh. ask, someone ought to ask Morgan Freeman about that. Yeah. He's got his own blues. He's got his own blues guitar institute in Mississippi, I think. Oh, and does that? And it does it claim that Robert Johnson was unlimited? Real, is only as real life. The network it's on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, this would be appropriate because Jimi Hendrix, I think, conforms to the profile set by uh, Joe Atwill and uh, Jan Irwin in uh, you know uh, manufacturing Deadhead of having a close ties to the military. He was a paratrooper. He mustered out of the army as a paratrooper. And his family, in fact, had served historically in the military. So there's a military connection. But he did not get promotion here in America. He had to go abroad to be... Right. Is there bat back masking in that song? Tracers and Lynn? oh god, memories. Is that what you want to be listening to? <laughs> memories are made of these. It's back back masking in there. I heard it. That was nice. I liked it. Yeah. So we have that, and all, and and the thing is, Hendrix, he could not. He was, you know, he's had career success as a studio musician. But he could not, when he started his own thing, he, he really couldn't get any support. Quit here. unmuting me. He, uh, he couldn't get any support here. So he had to go abroad to England to, to, to make the pop music scene over there. And when he came back here, he was doing he was an opener for, like, the Monkees. It's unbelievable. It sounds like he had a whole lot of help from, from someone. Well, n- not... I mean that's the thing. If he was, if he was being, if it was also socially engineered, he wouldn't have had to go all the way to Europe to make a make a career for himself as a uh, you know as 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 a rock star. I mean he could have could have they would have done it right there in California or Seattle, Washington, which is where he was from. I mean, well, he wasn't, he wasn't he wasn't big until after he died, right? 
I mean, how, how many records no, do you sell? No, that's not true. Oh, that's, uh, I dispute that. I would never agree oh, really? with that assertion. Never. I, I, went to, I went to any number of his concerts, two or three. Really? Yes, yeah, yeah. so I, I saw him at Meriwether Post Pavilion in 68. Oh. I saw oh, him at the Baltimore Civic Center, which is now called the Arena. Or it's now called not the, the Royal Crown Arena or some shit. No, I, I saw him. I saw Frank Zappa and the Mothers of... I saw all these people in live venues. Large concert halls, smaller clubs. Wow. So uh, it was very... Re- Actually, the, the Band of Gypsies album that is a live recording of their 6970 uh, New Year's Eve concert I was in the audience there at the Fillmore East for that of course I, I don't remember much of it because I passed out but uh, that's a whole other story but uh, um, so, how many, so how many people died when they were 27 years old in the, I mean Janis Joplin and um, Jimi Hendrix. Well, were they precisely twenty-seven, or were they? Were they precise? I thought uh, Jim Morrison was already into his thirties. Right? Jim Morrison. Uh, yeah, well, maybe it's not a huge coincidence, but all this—it just seems like all the, it seems like someone wanted like a lot of tragedy to happen, and and the death of Hendrix. The death nothing, of Hendrix. Nothing, nothing but tragedy. Yeah, the death of Hendrix. Yeah, like Hendrix. And Janis Joplin so close together in that year, that really did shake us up. And people felt like Hendrix is still at the top of his, you know, he could do a world tour any time. And Janis Joplin had received uh, all kinds of distinguished awards for uh, her uh, work on Pearl, which was really yeah. is now still a cl- absolute. Uh, uh, it's a rhythm and blues. Cl- if you listen to that, that's another one you could take. Bumper- <laughs> All right, when did Jim when did Jim Croce die? No. Uh, Jim Croce uh, had most of his successes in the seventies. And then he, there was a plane. Then there was a plane crash, and him and his yeah. awesome guitar player died. Yeah, he died. Well, you know, we have a lot of plane crashes. I mean, we have uh, the one that was Leonard Leonard Skinner involved in a plane crash. Some of them, do- and uh, of course, some buddy, the original was- Buddy Holly and the big Buddy Bob, Holly, yeah. yeah, the day the music died and all that, you know. But Hendrix is and, but- what, and, I- and what's his name Kennedy dying in a plane crash. Oh, I just, you're I just talking about if, if, if I hear about if, yeah, if I hear about yeah, if I hear about plane crashes, I just. It just tickles me funny bone these days. It small, like, it's like the joke about you know small private planes, hot tubs, you know, hot- certain hotels in Dubai. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, people that should be, be watching their personal security should be a little more careful about their personal security when they <laughs> indulge in these in these things, maybe. But you know, well, yeah, anything anything can happen. You never know. Yeah, and they might not be dead too. They might have you know now with the latest cases. Hell no, they're not dead. Well, Chris. Well, with Chris Cornell, a.k.a. Chris Boyle, and now Chester, the guy from Lincoln Park. What's his name? I wasn't a particularly big fan of Lincoln Park, but they're claiming. Have you seen a picture of him and John Podesta? Oh, you got to look like at this. Thing, yeah. Chris, like Chris. Yeah, yeah <laughs> someone's, put, someone's put a, a comparison out there of Chester, the guy that just allegedly committed suicide from Lincoln Park. 
a picture of him alongside John Podesta, and damn if they're not like father and son. I mean, it really looks. <laughs> it's that's, here, that's, it's that's, that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that makes you <laughs> just go raving into the night or something. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, dead rock stars and John Podesta. Why not? And and here's the here's the connection. Here's the linkage. They're saying that both Chris Cornell, a.k.a. Chris Boyle, I guess I heard his real legal name was Christopher, birth name was Christopher Boyle, I don't know, uh, uh, and um, Chester, his name, I, last name I can't remember, John Podesta's love child, allegedly, that they were both initiating major campaigns against uh, pedophilia, child trafficking and pedophilia. They were speaking out and, you know, going public about, you know, with statements about pedophilia and child trafficking and I guess this was true right but don't they all talk about it now I don't know so uh, and so it, it was surmised that the timeliness of their suicides you know could be correlated with their sudden interest in this sub in this subject and and similar interests surrounding reputation at Podesta and I want to say about this even if it's all fake news even if Pizzagate is completely fake even if it's a fake narrative and there are people out there who are making a strong case it's a fake narrative. I, I could go into some of the people who've done research on that. I like their work. I don't know, but my God, wouldn't you think Podesta would be suing the ass off people who are posting this stuff on the web, accusing him of being a pedophile? If he was a real person, he would be, certainly. Oh, you're telling me that there is no... I've seen it. I, there's interviews with him... On YouTube, I mean, come on. There's a long history of interviews with Podesta. It's not like he's a secret. Now his brother is kind of in the shadows. His brother Anthony, you almost never see him. But John Podesta is a celebrity, a media, a video media celebrity. He's appeared on talk shows for years and stuff like that. It's not like he's hidden away or anything. Wouldn't you think he'd be suing at least one major outlet that is publicizing this stuff? And, passing it around out here on the web, I mean, it, which is just as susceptible to charges of libel or slander as any newspaper would be, as the New York Times or the Washington Post or the National Enquirer. So yeah, I, it's a, it goes into the category of fear porn. Well, like if you're fear, fear, fearful of that's people... That's not good enough. Maybe there's Maybe there's a smattering of... of molestation or whatever. Well, I don't know. Podesta, here's the thing. Podesta refuses to deny that these are his emails, okay, that that uh, Julian Assange has published. He refuses to deny this. They talk all about pizza and hot dogs and stuff like that, and it is clearly, that's a code, but we don't know what the code really stands for. We really don't. It's clearly encrypted. It's clearly they're look, using their own sort of jargon, their own code, but we really don't know what that code means. It's been suggested it refers to this or that subject, but we don't know. <laughs> but wouldn't you think someone would be, if, if this isn't concealing something criminal, wouldn't you think someone would be coming out and saying something or suing something? So obviously obvi suing someone, saying something or suing someone, or giving, offering up an explanation, but that's not what's happening. Instead, they're running the media narrative in a way to say, well, there's definitely all, we don't know what kind of criminal activity is going on here, but you can't prove it and you can't do anything about it. So look what we're getting away with. So what they're doing is they're communicating the message in a very direct way. We can get away with anything, anything, any, any rumored 
horror that you think we might be involved in, we can do. So I yeah, saw. I, I think that's the fallback position. If there's any question as to whether it's a bombing or a shooting or a riot or public trial or or molestations or what, whatever it is, um, there's a fallback position that where um, everyone falls into line and, and it's and uh, yeah, it's it just it. That, that it's as far media content is worth a lot of money, and if, and if, especially if it's on all the channels, and there's some um, there's some agreement that we're that we're gonna this is gonna be the story we follow over the months or years or whatever. Or every few months we're gonna cover this. I mean, I mean, there's some editorial process where people decide, and and. I mean, it, it's just titillating. It's just not, it's, it sounds to me. It sounds to me like, like they just have they just have a plethora of different things, and they they have different. Um, and they they just they just want people to come back, and it's just it's just a money thing. They just want to they just want media content that's going to be profitable, and they they're legally bound to do so. So, um, yeah, you you never know what kind of. And it's probably just going to escalate in, in, or, in order to maximize that that uh, that profit. There, it just every year it just gets more and more ridiculous until until now. At this point, I mean, if you look at it objectively, it's just it's just a total. I mean, I mean, you you just can't even imagine how how this could possibly be true, and 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 that's just what it's come to. It, it's just it's just the formula they they have for. For making money, so that's what happens, and and there's all kinds of justifications for it, and I mean, I'm just at the point that I just I just don't care to look at it too much. I mean, I hear people bring it up, and and it sounds even more ridiculous when whenever I tune into the news. I mean, after not having looked at it for months and months, I mean, it just seems like it just seems like the uh, like like the uh, it's like they're, you're talking. You're like first they're they're talking to a fifth grader. They're talking to a second grader. They're talking to a. I mean, it's it's just it's, they're just dumbing down everything and 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 I, I I don't know what I don't know what to look for it that that much anymore. Whether whether it's relevant or not, and I think I think that's why the ratings go down. There's just there's not any nothing relatable or relevant to. The people that watch and and it's just it's just they're just trying to cover the lies that they've had over the years. That's the only reason they even have news, I think. So, if you, if you that's my rant. If you if you can <laughs> if you sit through a film like Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, dimly awa- dimly thinking in the back of your mind as you're watching the film, wondering how much of this is real or. Or maybe correlating it with uh, the latest news stories that you're hearing, or something like that. Or you know, you're dim, dimly aware. Well, you if you're, but are you? Here's what is the expected res, uh, emotional response? Are you supposed to be one, titillated, two, maybe disturbed and horrified, or three, informed, or four, acclimatized? Well, it's a little something for everyone. And most people just want to know: is is Tom Cruise really gay, or or is 
or is Nicole, what's her name? Is she going to, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just not really very relevant about anything. I, I mean, if they, and, but, but all this stuff runs in the background and no, no matter what the motivation is for watching it, I mean, people are going to think, oh, well, shit like this goes on all the time and they have, they, rich people have parties and they wear masks and they make decisions and, and it's just, I mean, I, th- I think that they, they, they just, it, the, the whole idea is just to make it like part in part of the background. They, I mean, as far as, um, yeah, they've always had these sex scandals going on far back as I can remember. I think at this point it has to be something involved it has to be something pushing the envelope even further. So it's not enough to have a guy messing around on his wife. It's got to be kids. It's got to be something really over the top to hold people's interest. I think that's part of it, too. Well, in order, I think in order to maximize the return on investment, they just, they're just they just one-upping every year. They, they want it to be, they, they find something that's successful, that's, that's titillating and controversial, and they just do more and more of it, yeah. and it's just like I, a... Yeah. Yeah, I think like too big, that there's um, like a, and maybe maybe they compete with each other. It's like it's like a big, like it's a big dick fight for between the competitors to which one gets played or whatever. Yeah, too. It's uh, it's, 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 it's out there to familiarize people with the idea. Yeah, it's to familiarize people with the idea too. I think as well, but yeah, it's uh. That's what the politics is about, I think, mainly, is to, is to get people conversing about certain ideas. <clears throat> now they can use the uh, YouTube, and that's all. It's all heavily loaded with uh, controlled opposition and stuff that's, stuff that's put out by the government or powers that be or whatever. It's all over. Probably... A big part of the channels on YouTube or some kind of a government operation yeah, at this there's point. Plenty of people. There's plenty of legit people out there creating their own media content that that's free of. And I mean, any, anything. I mean, I mean that's that's a good thing about the internet and and people. I mean, there's good there's goodness. Thank you, Chris, for creating media content. It's not full of it. I certainly approve of your music. I certainly approve of your musical selections, always. Oh, good. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, appreciated. Thanks for calling in and participating in the Hoaxbusters call. Everybody that called in. We had uh, John was calling in earlier. Thanks, John. Had Dr. Buster Clock. Thanks, Dr. Um, check your filters thanks Lynn for calling in Smiling and you're awesome man and uh, yeah thanks everybody that came out so we got uh, people still in the chat thanks for coming out uh, check out hoaxbusterscall.com says thanks Chris thanks for Posters for thanks the donors and uh, check out 
the links of interest on the right side of the hostbustercall.com blog. Did I did I say did I mention? Yeah, check your AC. See if it's dirty. Might have a might have a layer of dust and debris. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, check your filter, man. I bet it's I bet it's clogged. It just happens, man. So I think you can get a new air filter for about ten bucks. I'm not sure. Yeah, that sounds like a worthy investment. Might help you get better gas mileage, better fuel economy. Same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll have to get the fuel filter changed. <clears throat> Change your fuel filter while you're at it. Yeah, why not? Yeah. But uh, like, what else? What else? Yeah, we'll try to do this every Monday night at the same time. I know I've been later because it's summer, and I do it later when it's summer. And uh, so it's, it's hot and warm. Yeah, it's hot. So wait for it to cool down. Wait for the sun to go down. But uh. All right, everybody, have a good night. Drive safe, doctor. Don't, I will. Yeah. Stay away from the road pirates. I'll be pirates. knocking on your door before too long. Yeah, send a, send a text when you're in the area. And uh, I probably lost the number. I broke my phone, so I'll have to. All right, cool, man. We'll figure right. that out. Everybody, have a good night. Take care. Good night, Chris. Night. Thank you for listening to the Hoax Busters Call. You can subscribe to the podcast at hoaxbusterscall.com. Support the Hoaxbusters call by rating it on iTunes, sharing it on social media, fire off a donation at hoaxbusterscall.com. Conspicuous graffiti in public places. Hoaxbusters call. Conspiracy. Just theory. Oh, look at the beautiful earth down here with its shake proof washer right down to the chassis and crimped properly. Oh, it's just. Yeah crotch moistening stuff. Speaking of which... Buscando el amor que se han robado No hay lo que hacer, buscando placer Por todo el mundo voy a deshacer Look at that!
That is a complete fucking fraud, and it looks 100% real. And you believe this rubbish. Do you know you do? You believe this tripe. Okay, yes. We are bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no? See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. And when I was at Findhorn, I met this extraordinary English tree expert who had devoted his life to saving trees. Just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. See, actually for two or three years now, Chiquita and I have had this very unpleasant feeling that we really should get out. That we really should feel like Jews in Germany in the late 30s. Get out of here. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. See, I think it's quite possible that the 1960s represented the last burst of the human being before he was extinguished. And that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now. That from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being with feelings and thoughts. And that history and memory are right now being erased. And soon, nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. All of this was coded and predictive programming. Yeah, 